Mission First Tactical is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. <coughs> you hear me okay now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you good. Okay, good, good. good to see you, man. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Prayers and, and love go out to you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Louisiana touched a lot of people, and there's been an outpouring of tens of thousands of people commenting. And yeah, she touched a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, your whole family has touched a lot of people, and you've you've gained uh, a lot of respect from everybody. So. Well, that's very sorry I mean, for your loss. Didn't didn't waste our lives, so that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you have led one remarkable life. There's no doubt about it. Let me take those off. I look silly with that on there. <laughs> My reader's on. I can't see. I, I, I've got mine down here. <laughs> yeah, I'll be yeah. popping I mean, them I'm on and off throughout I, the show. I made, it, I made it till 65 you know, without even worrying about it. And then then I just said it's not worth it anymore. It's crapped out, huh? Yeah, it just helps. And I can still read, but it's a lot easier with those on. All right, all right, all right, Leadheads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Lefty. Ten years of educating the uneducated here on the Talking Lead Podcast, bringing you all the education, and uh, sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes we don't educate, but we have fun nonetheless. In this episode, I think we're going to have a really good time because we've got a legend on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Joining us all the way. I guess you're in Canada. Are you in Canada today? Yeah, yeah. You're in our Hand of Man Museum right now in ah, the studio. And and I want to talk about that too. So let me let me do you the the honors of an intro here for for our lead heads. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the legend himself. He is an outdoor writer. He is a professional outdoor big game outfitter, hunter, TV producer. Uh, he's written several books. You've seen him on TV, the uh, outdoor channels, all your favorites. He's on every one of them. He is the father of a daughter that has followed in his footsteps. He was an All-American swimmer, and he even went to the Nationals, I think two-time championship in, in water polo. You may not have known this fact about him. Uh, he, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier there, he has created and he is the curator of the hand of man museum of natural history cultural art and conservation it's like a seventeen thousand square foot facility we're going to talk about that ladies and gentlemen it is the goat of hunting big game hunting the man with no fear jim shockey ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i'm surprised you missed the lead gym the lead gin. Look at you. You're on top that's of it. That's the only lead, lead you missed on that whole intro. That's the only lead one. Yeah. I like to play around with our, our, our show name in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, it's awesome. I was giggling the whole time. <laughs> so, Jim, welcome in. This is an honor to have you on, sir. Oh, it's my, my honor and my pleasure. Well, and, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, too, and I think most of our listeners follow you, and they're aware of what's been going on in your life. And I know that uh, they they have sent out their love and their prayers to you and your family for 
for the loss of the, the love of your life. You know. Yeah, Louise, we were married 39 years. and Wow. Yeah, she touched a lot of people's lives. She she was uh, the most beautiful person inside and outside. Uh, you know, and we, we lost her way, way too early, but we can't. No way to know the big picture, so we just have to believe she's she's in a better place right now. Well, she is. We we know she is, and the love that uh, you guys have shown her, and that I know that she has shown you, uh, just it, it exudes through just your pictures. I mean, you don't even have to know you guys to to see the the tightness and the love that that your family exudes. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, true love. We have a very close family, and. Uh, and Louise, Nana Weezy was was the, Nana Weezy. the center of our universe. <laughs> Nana Weezy, I like that. That's a good, I'm yeah. sure the grandchildren came up with that, didn't they? Yeah, the Nana part, the Weezy. I, I've always called her. It's Louise, but you know, people just heard Weezy, but it's Louise. Yeah. I always called her that. And uh, then the kids added the Nana part. And she was an actress. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. She she. Yeah, when I'm, we were going out, and uh, she was doing a movie with Tom Selleck, and uh, no way, Tom Selleck. Yeah, yeah, and it was a Michael Crichton novel, Runaway, um, that they were converting to a movie. Yeah, and then there was uh, yeah with Gene Simmons from Kiss. I think that was about the same the yeah. time that he took the face makeup off and uh, started doing a movie. I remember that because, movie. Yeah, Kirstie Alley was in it as well. So I, she had her own trailer with a little star on it, and uh, that is awesome. Yeah, she, yeah, and and Tom might deny this, but he actually asked her out, uh, and so Louise phoned me mm. and and said it was before he was married, and she said, "Well, you know, Tom Selleck. I mean, he was he was Magnum PI. Oh yeah, he, he was the hottest guy around." And uh, she said, "Mind if I would just went for lunch with him?" And uh, I said, "No, heck no. You know, let the bird free if it comes back. All that crap." And and then I hung up. And I said. What was I thinking? <laughs> it's <laughs> Tom Selleck. It's Magnum PI. Just imagine if the you know most gorgeous sex symbol in the world asked me out for a date. You know, I, I mean, how would you feel? And she'd say, "Yeah, you're right." So she said no to him, and uh, she, I, you know, Eva, our daughter, still to this day says that you know that was the biggest mistake of of Louise's life. She <laughs> should have married him, and Eva would have. She always wanted a a slide out her window into the pool that's, you know, shaped like <laughs> whatever, you know, so, so that, that's family, uh, family folklore, but it's actually hundred percent true. Yeah. Whiskey river beef farmed a table with a twist. Come along with us on a quest towards achieving self-sufficiency in food production and fostering a robust local food source to promote good health. Stock up with premium Tennessee beef, unparalleled in flavor and tenderness. You can be confident that you're receiving beef with no added growth hormones or implants. Always pasture-raised, locally USDA processed, and shipped straight to your home. Whiskey River beef is grass and whiskey mash fed and finished, and is at least 14 days dry aged to enhance the tenderness and give you the most robust flavor imaginable. Go to whiskeyriverbeef.com today to order. Visit us on Instagram at Whiskey River Life and on Facebook at Whiskey River Beef LLC. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, Jim has a new novel that's going to be coming out in in October, and that's what we're going to talk about here. And 
you know, that kind of story that you're telling there, you know, as I read your book, you know, kind of the stories that, that are in your book, but it's not an autobiography. Yeah. This is a, a work of fiction, you know, finger quotes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's what intrigued the, uh, the, the publishers out East, uh, you know, in New York, the big guys, they, they, I think they couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't real because it's a, it truly is an autobiographical fictional thriller, you know, and I call it an abstract thriller because it distorts reality. You're, you know what you're looking at, you know what you're reading, but, but you can't quite, you know, put the pieces together. So right. they, they, uh, I think they, like I said, I don't think they knew what, what part of it is real. Cause there's a lot, that, I mean, it's all, it, and you can, I say, go ahead, doc, look, that's the thing it. about it. You know, I did, I learned so much more about you after I read this book because, you know, and we'll talk about it, but you actually challenge, well, the, the character challenges the reader to verify his stories and go yeah. on Google and look it up. And, you know, I started doing this and after the first, you know, 10 or 12, I was like, man, this stuff's actually real. This stuff happened. This is, you know, this is, this is remarkable. How does Jim, you know, the writer of this know about all these things, you know? So that's, that's call me Hunter. That's the, <laughs> that's the character. I, you know what I say? And, you know, kind of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge is it's 80% truth. And, and the, the 20% that would put anybody in jail, that's the fiction part. Plausible deniability, right? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> But no, the so Runaway, she was in that movie. I'm going to go back and rewatch that tonight. Yeah, I think you know Michael Crichton really liked Louise. I mean, everybody likes her as soon as they meet her. Oh, and, I can uh, imagine. And uh, her part isn't big. I mean, she's literally got a little. She plays a little wait waitress coming over and asking Tom and I think Kirstie Alley, you know, what they want to. You know, it's it's nothing. But if you look, you see Tom. You know, like he, he's, uh, he, yeah, but, yeah, so, so it wasn't a big part And Louise, she had all kinds of opportunities to go down to Los Angeles. I mean, all the time, the people, nobody would believe if I started dropping names of the kind of people that were, you know, after Louise that, you know, were trying to get her to do the Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she wanted the parts where she could work for three days and that would pay for the rest of the month where she could just go on walks and, and do yeah. her dance and, and whatever else she wanted to do. She never, she avoided all that stuff. It was, if I had this much of her talent, I, I would be insufferable. I would be unstoppable. I'd be, look at me world. This is how wonderful I am. But uh, she, she was such a humble, just beautiful old soul that, that was happy exactly what she was doing. She wanted to, you know, marry the love of her life and, and love one man and, and, and have her family, yeah. her boy and her girl. And that's what she, that's what Louise wanted to do. So all that other stuff was, she didn't even notice. I mean, <laughs> just gravy. It's just gravy yeah. for her. Just extra. Yeah. It's yeah. just a byproduct of, of being, being yeah. the beautiful soul that she was. You know, and that's so rare um, to find the kind of love that you guys had, you know, right off that early and just know that, this is I, it. This is knew, everything. And, you know, I don't need anything else. This is everything I need right here. I, I knew 100%. On the our first, she wouldn't date me. I actually <laughs> met her in a uh, dance class. Uh, you know, I, whoa, I was, whoa, whoa. You met her in a dance class? Yeah, it's the truth. You know, here, here's the deal. 
I was 26 years old, and I, you know, I thought I was kind of hot, and you know, I was went out with all the model girls and whoever, you know. And I was sitting there one day, and I was, you know, going, "Ugh, I got to get serious about getting married. I'm 26 years old. Where would I meet somebody, you know, who's beautiful, nice body, and really, you know, a nice person? Yeah. You know, the bar, you know, the nightclub, that didn't work so great. It's like, Ugh. and uh, so I, I, I was sitting there, and it was just an epiphany. I go, dance class. Of course, that's where you're going to find, you know, a potential soulmate. And I, and I, um, so I looked in the yellow pages and, and looked at the biggest ad, and there was a dance class, oh your dance studio, and I it was Terpsichore. I called them up and said, you, you know, do dance lessons or whatever, and they said, yeah, that's where a dance studio. And I said, what do you got tonight at five o'clock? And they said, we have advanced ballet jazz with Louise, and I, and so I said, ah, advanced ballet jazz, that's me. <laughs> so I, I showed up at, at five o'clock with my little in those 1984, like the tightest little red shorts that I split. Oh, up they had the, short shorts in 84, too. Uh, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. That's that was the, the prime time for it. That was the magnum so I, shorts. I, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I had a little white muscle shirt on. I walked in there, never had danced a, a step in my life other than, you know, slow waltzes hanging on somebody. And uh, yeah. I walked in there and there's 30 beautiful women and uh, one guy and uh and then the dance instructor you know and me and, and I, I just walked in and saw the dance instructor and just you know holy cow so i i um i asked her out and she said with those shorts no yeah i mean i you know i mean i did the whole dance class they were they were doing west side story they were uh, louise was about two thirds of the way through the choreography, you know, teaching this class, yeah. you know, we are the jets and the jets every day and they're playing and pod doing across the floor. I had no idea about any of it. So I was just going, you know, going along, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I must've been cute enough because uh, I asked her out and, uh, and she said, no. And, and uh, said no. I said, well, it'll be the biggest mistake of your life. I can tell you that. And, and, and I'm, <laughs> She said, she told the story always after she'd turn her head and said, you son of a gun, you know, like, and so she said, okay, I won't go on a date, but I'll go for a walk on a beach with you. So we, you know, set it for a week and, uh, we, uh, I walked on that beach with her and, and asked her questions, of, you know, I, cause I didn't pretty girl, oh, yeah. know, I, I wasn't interested. I was looking for a soulmate and, uh, you know, like, what do you think about raising children? Where do you want to live? You know, I found out she actually had grown up on a farm out in Quebec. Oh wow! Spoke, she was perfectly bilingual, and and uh, I asked her, you know, I was testing her on that. I said, "Oh, so you like the outdoors? Yeah, wildlife. Yeah." So what's that bird? And it, it was a, it was a uh, blue heron, and she looks at me. I know that one. And I said, "What is it?" And she said, "It's a gray herring." And I, I said, <laughs> "I said, you know, cute on top of everything else." And uh, and I, I said, well, "You know, we've walked for like two hours and." She said, uh, I asked her again, and she said, okay, I'll go for a, a dinner date in a week. And uh, I, I literally went home that night. I phoned my parents. I told my father, the girl I'm going to marry. I phoned my sister and, and told her, phoned all my buddies and said, I'm out of the loop anymore. All my water polo buddies, I said, you know, I'm done. And I phoned all my dates that I had set up for, <laughs> you know, into the future, my little black Through book. Through the old black book. <laughs> yeah. I said, look, I'm done. I can't go. And I knew. I absolutely 100% knew from that walk, from that instant. And that that's, I posted the other day and said that, uh, 
you know, it was 39 years, 113 days, 14 and a half hours that I had with that beautiful, wonderful soul that, and, and that was from that date. That was from exactly that moment. Now, Louise. From dance class. From you yeah, yeah. just well, going from, to dance class. Yeah. So, so any of you young guys listening out there, you know, don't, you don't need to go <laughs> like use this. And, Jim, you just sold out every dance class in the nation now. Yeah. yeah. Every, and, every and, single guy is going to take a dance class now. Well, it, it, it's, it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's the truth. Why, why go to a bar? There's all these other little rutting bucks and they're, yeah. you know, getting in fights and, you know, I mean, everybody's just go to a dance class and, and, uh, and just be yourself and, you know, and be, they'll, they'll love you. Did you go to any more dance classes or was that the, was that the only one? <laughs> no, no, that was a, that was a one shot deal. And, uh, no, I never, uh, I mean, I, I knew I was an absolutely useless two left footed dancer and, and what would be the point? I, I went there for a purpose and uh, you accomplished, accomplished mission accomplished. Yeah. 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 But you know, she, obviously she was an accomplished dancer as well. Oh, it's fabulous dancer. Like, like she was with, uh, Le Ballet Russe and Le Ballet Jazz, you know, dance troops mm-hmm. in Montreal, Eastern Canada. She, you know, she world. was, you know, fabulous dancer. And she also taught yoga for 30 years. Oh, we, wow. have, we have a dance studio in our house, actually. I built it for her. 1991, I, I during the Gulf War, I built the whole dance studio and, and took an old gymnasium floor. And oh, wow. Nailed each, each of those little maple slats down by hand and, and watched the Gulf War unfold on TV while I was doing it. Well, now you got to take up dancing again. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you have yeah, Ava I'll, come over and teach you, right? Didn't she yeah, learn? I'm going to put my uh, my little tidy shorts on again and muscle shirt, and <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, uh, and Eva, our daughter, was also a competition salsa dancer. So, so Eva is all people don't realize that they think she's outdoor field yeah. the table liver. She is, but I, she's also a great great accomplished professional dancer yeah again something i learned by reading your no- your novel and doing that research that that your character dared us to do is some you know you go down the rabbit hole and you's, you'll, you'll just yeah you'll, you find you'll all kinds of stuff i say it's like like quicksand you you want you want to resist against suspended reality and you start struggling by searching and t- you're just going to get you're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper until yeah you know you can't get out and you know that's the thing too is um when david contacted me at simon and schuster he's like hey you know jim shockey's got a book on would you like to have him on the show i was like yeah i would love to to do that he goes i'll send you you know a copy advanced copy and you know the name of it is call me hunter i'm like that's fitting you know it's jim shockey and call me hunter yeah so and as I start getting into it and start reading, I was like, this is not what I was expecting from yeah. from Jim Shockey. So for our readers, um, if you don't mind, can I read this uh, little excerpt here about what the book's about? Yeah, 100%. Okay. So about the book, an elite secret society of killers has controlled the world's treasures for hundreds of years until one member tears himself free to salvage his soul and protect his daughter's life in this electrifying and thrilling debut. Uh, and then it goes on and reads a little bit more, but I think we'll talk a little bit about it. So I don't want to give too much away because I want I want our, our, our listeners to go and read the book, buy the book, get it. Um, so I understand that this was like 25 years in the, in the making. 
Yeah, you know, longer than that, actually. I, I I was 10 years old when I envisioned the museum that I'm sitting in right now, and it's, you know, a natural history, cultural arts museum. I, I had National Geographic. I grew up in a trailer park, so we couldn't afford to, you know, any, these were pipe dreams for me. Yeah. But but I, I knew I was going to do it. I wasn't going to live like my dad did. Did you watch Merlin, Marlin Perkins? Um, of course. Mutual yeah. of Omaha's Jim, Wild Kingdom. I yeah. love that show. Yeah, he, uh, Jim actually... You know, Marlon's sidekick, you know, there, there's Jim. He's wrestling the anaconda while I'm on the shore here. <laughs> right. he, yeah. Jim is uh, a member of the uh, Explorers Club of New York City, which I'm also a member of. It's a venerated, you know, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary was, you know, president. Like, that's Very all, the, all the astronauts. Yeah. They're all Armstrong. They're, they're all members of that club. And, and Jim is still alive, at least last I heard. And he's a member of the club as well. I've never oh, met him yet, but uh, one day I'd like to just walk up and I watched religiously as a kid. Oh, I did. And when we finally got a TV. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. Right you up. had to have had a TV back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I thought I started my first novel when I was ten, and same time I got I collected my first seashell for this museum. It's still here, a conch shell, and I, I, um, but I mean I had nothing to write. I couldn't even hardly write it. It's a skill you have to actually hone. Yeah. So I, I started writing magazine articles in 1980. I shelved it. Started writing magazine articles in 84 to hone that craft. And in 91, I thought it was good enough. I was going to sit down and write 91 to 93, somewhere in there. I, I penned the first lines of that novel. You know, call me Hunter and Zhivago is dead. I hunted him down and I killed him. And I, and I actually wrote that first page. And I, and I thought about it. And I realized I still didn't have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have, um, I hadn't lived life enough. And there's two ways you can write. You can get out of university and start being a novelist and, and you can, uh, you know, use your imagination. You can travel and research, or you can live a life on the very edge of, you know, where people should or shouldn't live. Right. And, and at the end of that, write. So you know, I, I firmly believe for me, it was the only way. I'm not saying other people can't do it their way, but sure. I needed to live life. And, and and then when I sat in 2000, 2016, I decided that 2019, Mozambique, October, I was done. That was my last international trip because I needed to write this novel. I'd been writing it in my head for 25 years. And if I didn't stop international travel 300 days a year, I, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to get it done. Yeah. And you run out of time in a life. So I, I stopped November 2019. I sat down and wrote you know, picked up that those lines again. And, picked up from where and, you did the Zhivago is dead. Yeah, same, same line. Yeah, Zhivago is dead. I killed him. So hunted him down and killed him. What what caused you to come up with that initial line? What what was happening in your life? What were you like? Were you forty? Ninety seven? Is that when yeah, you first did that? Yeah, I would have been uh, just over just over forty or ninety one. Jeez, I got to use my math. Just over thirty. <laughs> I know it's been a minute. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, in the novel, there's a, there's a, it starts with a youth named Hunter. And he did, you know, he had a special talent for recognizing art and, and beauty. Beauty, yeah. And it, it, it's, it, it's actually, I, I believe it. I, I think that if, if you're born with that, you, you can't, you can structure art and you can learn about it, but, but there's something inside you that's innate that allows you to feel beauty, just feel it. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. And, and the child sees, 
great art recognizes it because it, his world is a sepia tone brown on brown world but when he sees that piece it stands out in brilliant brilliant color right and and sometimes you know for some people it, it's music some people it stands out you know but there's i believe you're born with that and and uh you know i i i felt beauty when i was that age like i it's a i don't know it's a different weird thing that well you have to read the novel to well to yeah and that's it. the thing too is um and again as you're reading this and then you can kind of you kind of get the assumption that hunter is you and when you were growing up in your youth and you know this is you know he's kind of he's kind of portraying himself you know, in a way so i was going to ask you know when you were younger is is and and he was perceived in the character in the book you know perceived as slow and but he actually was very overly you know, super intelligent um, yeah, beyond did you have exactly. troubles in school when you were younger did, did you struggle well the the character hunter yeah, you know he couldn't read it was grade three and the teacher told you know told the parents that he couldn't read so they had to take him to a, a child psychiatrist mm-hmm. when i was in third grade my teacher mrs miller she told my parents that he can't read and everybody else can read you know see dick run see jane jump up the hill or whatever see spot um and my parents took me to a side child psychiatrist to find out what was wrong with me you know quote unquote and and uh so you actually went to so, a psychiatrist in real yeah, life yeah yeah no, okay. no that's that's uh and, and you know they the psychiatrist walked out of the, <laughs> i mean you got to read the book because it, it's it's yeah. autobiographical it, it yeah it, the, um well it just hit home to me oh. because i i was kind of the same way when i was younger i was probably about the third grade and um they thought I had, you know, something dyslexia or so I was having trouble reading. Sure. But it but once I got into the the remedial reading teacher or whatever started getting in there, she just found that I was I was basically bored. And hundred percent. You know, and, and this, like, he's got no problem reading whatsoever. It's just that this is boring to him. Yeah. And and that's exactly what the psychiatrist told my parents is take them to the library, but put them in the section with wildlife. Yeah. It was adventure, you know, not see Dick run or Jane run. You know, that's, that's, he just, and, and I know listening right now, I know there's people that are saying that are like us that, that, yeah. And, and you know, so people look at us and think, well, they're, they're kind of dumb. You know, they're, they're slow right, or whatever, slow, they're the, dumb. The bad, whatever's got a problem word for, for today for calling a child like that but but in fact you know we just relate to the world in a different way and that that's in the book the the you know the outdoors the animals our the senses are our tantalized by something other than you know yeah, what's exactly. being put in sea front of us sea rain. yeah and and we don't we don't fit in because of that and and at my you know it's uh, just getting back to mrs miller my grade three teacher she reached out to me uh, boy, in, in the last couple of years, she was reading a, a James Patterson novel, uh, Cross Justice. And and I actually heard about I, I found out because I happened to be reading that same novel sitting on a beach one time on one of the like three holidays Louisiana and I ever went on. And, and I'm reading it. And then all of a sudden, James Patterson, the character, Alex Cross, the character started talking about this Jim Shockey guy that, you know, and, and his children <laughs> were watching it on TV. And he was in Mongolia and hunting some sheep and the kids said, well, you got to do what Jim Shockey's do to hunt down the criminals. So all through this 
cross or cross justice book by James Patterson. I mean, the biggest yeah. selling author ever. There was, you know, I was reading about myself and uh, what the kids were watching on TV and what would Jim Chalky do kind of thing. Did the hairs so on the like, back of your neck stand up? Were you reading yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, you're like, whoa. What, like, and, and the teacher, Mrs. Miller, she read the same novel a couple years later and got a hold of me, you know, through the museum. or, And she actually, she actually said, you know, I apologize. I, you know, we didn't, you know, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, didn't know. And, and, uh, and, and how could she? I couldn't read. And I wasn't yeah. interested. I was bored, just like you were. It was, but once Dad got me into the library, and I could pick, you know, the the, the books that I was interested in. I was reading at, you know, advanced level reading. I mean, grade yeah. five. By grade five, I was reading J.A. Hunter, Hunter. You know, that, you know, that set me on the course of this, you know, all this in the background. Yeah. Just that one book. I got so many detentions from reading that in classroom, you know, hiding it in my, you know, the teacher would say, you know, go and I'd be perfect. I'd take my book and I'd get to read more of J.A. Hunter. I read it three right. times that year. So, so it's, yeah, you know, it, it, back to your original question, the, um, y- there's a lot that's, that's was who I am. That and comes who, from that's, you. That's what I say. Go yeah. ahead, you know, research it. And, and parts of the book, people, you know, that haven't seen it yet, um, it's a lot of it is written in, in third person omniscient, the perspective. Right. Um, in the audio books, that'll be um, Scott uh, Brick doing that. So the, the the reader that did all of Clive Custler's book, I purposely oh, nice. I wanted him. Nice. Yeah, you know, they they were they were gonna they wanted to use seven characters, actors playing the parts, and I said no, no, I this is a story and it needs to be one person. Scott Brick is who I want. Clive, Clive Custer is the best. Yeah. Uh, and but parts of the book are in second person perspective, which is never done in a novel. Very, very seldom it's done when someone's telling someone else something. Um, you, it's done in autobiographies. Yeah. So those parts in the actual audiobooks, I read those parts. Oh, really? Because it's yeah, it's <laughs> oh. second person, so it's so autobiographical that that's and, cool. and again, it's just to you know make it abstract like cubism so you see the shapes but and you know what it is but it's not done right yeah it can't be that so so it's 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 not a you know it's 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 a fairly complicated we actually tried to get it published in the literature category originally my oh really um, yeah my 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 agent uh, esther petrkovich you know she we put sent it to 10 publishers and in the literature and, and they all sent it back without reading and said, no, we Googled him. He's a celebrity. He can't, he can't possibly write literature. <laughs> he can't write literature. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's, and I go, you know, so I have a cowboy hat and, you know, people follow me on social media, so I can't write literature. And I, I you know, well, when you're not wearing your kangaroo you, hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got that one. Yeah. Then I, that would be more suitable. Yeah. You should have put that, that hat on. <laughs> yeah. It's different. I mean, it's different hats. Right. But, uh, but I, I just took it to mean, well, you, they just assume because you you know you've done certain things in your life that people recognize that you, you can't write literature. You have to be a down and out, depressive, suicidal, you know, PhD in English lit, yeah. English lit history to to write a, a, a literature. So I was kind of giggling about that because it kind of forced our hands to put it into the commercial, you know, fiction category. And it's Which, an unusual novel. It doesn't really fit in this genre, or that genre. But I think it really but, fits in yeah. the the thriller, you know, the suspense thriller yeah. um, fiction. Yeah. That's where it ended up in was was fictional thriller. Yeah. So so it's, yeah. 
Less than 1% of all Americans will ever serve in uniform. Their average age is 23. The average age of an American serving in combat, just over 21. They come from every walk of life and ethnicity to represent the melting pot and diversity of our great republic. In the prime of their life, often just old enough to drink or voting for the first time for their commander-in-chief, they serve our nation and risk their lives to preserve the freedoms and liberties we hold most sacred. To every veteran and for every measure of service, devotion, and sacrifice you've given, we offer our sincerest gratitude and thanks. It's going up against. But Brad that's what Ford. I was expecting when you know when it was sent to me is call me Hunter and is you know Jim Shockey you know on the cover and I'm seeing these big claw marks on here. I'm like this is going to be like an autobiography you know kind of book, but it, kind of but not really. <laughs> yeah, kind of but not really. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing that a lot of people don't know in the hunting world and the gun world. Um, I, I made my living dealing in art for a long, long time. I mean, oh, Country really? Living Magazine back in 84, Rachel Newman was the editor. She, in, the, in their 10th anniversary issue, she wrote up about you know my and Louise's collection as being the finest collection of the, of the Western Canadian ethnic, ethnocentric furniture that they've ever seen. She came right out to our place and, you know, they did three three articles on, on my collection, country living magazine, prior oh, wow. to, you know, 84, 88. Yeah. They so, were huge so I, back then too. Yeah. That, that was, I mean, that's, that's how I made my living and, and art. When I traveled, you know, yes, we filmed hunting, but the, I was looking for the cultural artifacts and arts of those countries. Yeah. That's what I spent. That's my camera. When I spent more time doing that than, uh, than the actual <laughs> than in the, the mountains and in the woods. <laughs> yeah, so, so I bought the art world. You know, this is again a part that I think the the hunting world and gun world doesn't realize. That's I still do. I've got a museum. You know, well, I want to I want to talk learn. about that too because it's uh, it sounds remarkable. And as you mentioned earlier, it's something that that you've wanted to do since you were ten years old. Yeah. And yeah. started collecting. Got that shell when you were how old when you when you got the conch shell? Ten years old. You ten years the, old. The the local church had um you know they they said if you brought five friends to sunday school they would give you a conch shell now conch shell in saskatoon saskatchewan in whatever 1963 or whatever it was or 67 that's unheard of a conch shell is like the golden fleece yeah so, so that's the first piece for my museum i took five shells or five friends to the uh sunday school and got my conch shells it's in the museum and i kept Everything from then on, insects, pretty rocks. I'd steal fishing lures from my dad's tackle box. And if I get into my grandfather's tackle box, that's when the good stuff was. Oh, yeah. And that, all that's still here. You, know, you got all that the, there. Yeah, I kept I kept it all, much to my poor mother's chagrin. And, and then Louise, of course, 39 years ago, when we got married, you know, she was a minimalist. Her, her apartment, you know, when I eventually got to see it, was... Uh, two cushions, a coffee table, and a mirror on one wall. And it was like a thousand square foot apartment, a big giant open She space. had to have room to dance. Come on. Well, and, and do her choreography. So she didn't <laughs> want to clutter on the walls. And and I live like what you're seeing behind me is nothing. I mean, it's like, you know, this is how I, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Same. Just like your wall. That That's how I live. And uh, poor Louise, I was, you know, she was a beauty. I was a beast. 
she was a lady i was a tramp and she had to <laughs> lady put up with my, yeah put up with my collecting you know obsession all these years but i i knew what i was doing i just needed a, a venue to display it all I, I don't believe you own anything you're you're a steward of whatever object it is yeah that you, you know, i don't care what you're it just, is you know, you're just keeping it until the, the next person yeah. enjoys it exactly just keeping it until then yeah but in the in the book you know again it's there's a lot of art in that and yeah. again it's not something that people who watch you on you know your hunting shows would you know expect it's something that can kind of it's like man to write this book you got to know a lot about all this different kind of art and all these different artists and i mean you're throwing you're throwing people out there that i'd never heard of and <laughs> and that's why a lot of the reason i had to do you know i had to do the the Googling, um, the section where you're in, you know, you're talking about Romania and you're in uh, Romania and uh, Nadia Comaneci, you know, you're. That's all true. You're throwing Nadia out Comaneci. all these names in the book. You're throwing, um, was it, it wasn't Farrah Fawcett. It was, uh, was it Goldie Hawn? Yeah, Goldie Hawn, you know, Goldie that, that's Hawn. part of the, uh, the continuation of the, um, the story about Tom Selleck, because after we were married, uh, you know, we had our Louisa had Bramlin, our son, and um, you know, I mean, it's busy when you have a child, you're busy. And I had my mm-hmm. antique store, Folk Art Interiors, and in Vancouver, um, you know, real trendy. And my clientele was the who's who. And um, Goldie Hawn, she was a good, she was a good client. So she came in and she asked me for lunch one day, and I said, Yeah, of course, you know. So I run around, went around the corner to the Alma Street Cafe, and had lunch with Goldie and then now, uh, did you ask Wheezy before? Therein, therein is the rub, because I didn't. You know, and, and to the, I mean, right through our entire marriage, you know, I mean, it's kind of a running joke because I mean, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was in love with Wheezy, but I came home that night and Wheezy slept on her baby and doing all this, and and I said, oh, guess who I had lunch with today? And she said, who? And I said, Goldie Hawn and, and Wheezy. Was, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, take your kid and go change his diaper kind of thing. But uh, it was always, it's a family, you know, it's a family story we tell and, and it's the truth. It's a, you know, it's. Is that know, how you met all the, the names that you've got in this book is through your, through your antique yeah, store? Some, some through the art world and, and, but also some through Louise. Like I say, her, her connections. Yeah. Uh, like to, to be at that dinner with, um, Lonnie Anderson and Stephanie Zimlis and Michelle Lee, uh, that that's Louise's connections. Gotcha. You know, I was there and Louise was there too, but it's because of her that I was there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, she was doing another movie. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, this, what's a Lindsay, Lindsay Wagner, the $6 million. Yeah. Woman. Lindsay Wagner. Yeah. Yeah. And that little cute one that was doing soap operas. I, I, I mean, these are all people that Louise new and those ones they're not in the book but uh yeah like i say i started dropping names about who was chasing after louise in those days uh <laughs> yeah she she was a uh well, she was gorgeous and gorgeous plus you know there's just something about her when you walked in the room you're a lucky man there's, you walked in the room everybody knew it was it was just there's an aura yeah about an angel like well and that you know the i guess the superpower that your character has in in recognizing you know innate beauty and in value um you know it, it seems that you have that as well again you're a collector you've got the antique store you've got your museum there you found you know wheezy you went to this dance studio and then you know 
boom, the love of your life is right there and you know it right yeah. off the bat. You know what you wanted yeah, to do cool. at 10 years old. You know you wanted to write a novel. You know you wanted to to open this museum and you've you've made it all happen. You've you envisioned it young and you've patterned your yeah. life to make it happen. Yeah, if, what I I liken it to if you, if you drive in one direction for half a century and don't take any side roads, you will end up somewhere. You know, and this is, you know, this is where I end up. I just never allowed myself to be sidetracked or golden handcuffed or, yeah. If it, if it didn't bring me closer to that goal, I didn't do it. I didn't, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't interested. I don't care how lucrative or attractive or money, making money, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a, a great skill involved with making, you know, I mean, Elon Musk, okay, there's some skill there. <laughs> there's no question. That's, that's an Uber level. Yeah. But, but to just rich and have a private jet. I mean, yeah, a lot of people behind him, though. <laughs> yeah, sure he does. There's Everybody a lot of people does. that Anyone made is, Elon Musk. Um, yeah, yeah. He, uh, but I mean, if you're successful, you're going to have good people that oh, absolutely. stand on their shoulders yeah. that, that help you. I, I'm not here today because of every single thing I did myself, but I associated with good people that are on a similar right. pathway. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting life. I'm, I, it's, uh, you get, you know, and I, I think that's part of, you know, everything I try and do is, is let people know you have one life. You don't get a second, you don't get a redo on this. No redo. So if you're going to, if you're going to live that one life, don't waste any of it. I mean, it's, it's yours to live, do what you love doing. If it's watching football games on the weekend, watch them. Yeah. You know, but be be damn the best at it. You know, like whatever. <laughs> Watch them from in the morning to. But but I you know I, you get one life, and and this all of this is meant to inspire. the The book also is meant to reach outside of our, our, vertical market. You know, our, our hunting mm-hmm. market, our gun market, the people outdoors, field to table people. It's it's meant to reach outside of our world, that we live and love, and the lifestyle, and and reach people that don't know about us. You know, they, they think we're just louts that right. spit on the floor and no higher sensibilities because we own a gun. I mean, you know, because we, we kill do, animals. You know, yeah. 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 Because we're, you know, we're truthful and we don't, we don't sanitize it. You know, we just, we just live. Here's the truth. This is what it is. We eat an animal. You know, we'd rather butcher ourselves and cut it up, put it in the freezer, you know, cook it ourselves, know where it came from. And, and I, that can be raising it too on a farm, the yeah. ranch, whatever. But, you know, we're, we're in touch with that. We're not ignoring it and say we live in our penthouse and, and no, we, we're too, you know, that's the unclean, the unwashed to do that. You know, this book is meant to reach into their world in a way that they understand, which is, you know, writing. You know, it's not considered something that we do on, on our, you know, that we can do. Yeah. Like, we're not supposed to be able to because you get we can't read. Well, yeah, yeah, we can read. You're just not giving me us hunter. something we want to read. Yeah, me hunter, me no read. Yeah, and that that's what this book is meant to do is is uh, reach out to the people that are out there and, and hopefully change the perspective. You know, I switched the stereotypes. You know, the villain is an animal rights extremist. You know, I flipped it. So he's the villain now. Yeah. You know, and the the guy that's the hunter. And there is no hunting in the book. Anyone that's reading, I think they're going to get a story about me being on safari somewhere. It's not, you know, or up on the Yukon Mountains. Yeah. But but the the antihero is a hunter. He becomes a hunter. He starts to understand the spirituality of it. And and the the protagonist is a young lady. I mean, it's it's like um, 
girl with a dragon tattoo meets Da Vinci Code meets yeah. Hunger Games. Yeah. You know, and again, little... as I did the research into this, I started to see who the act- who the characters actually are in your book. I was like, okay, I know who she. And again, I don't want to give it away, but you know, I know who as it comes together, I know who each person is. I know who the big, the ultimate prize art is, you know, and, and who it is in your life kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the soul catcher. The soul catcher. And that, yeah. that, you know, the original title was soul catcher, but it, it's a little too spiritual. It didn't, you know, it didn't, uh, that was a working title. And then the second title I worked with was man of sores, which I loved. I, I thought it, man of sores was, you know, for a literature, a work of literature, that's the right title. But yeah, you, your point of purchase is not going to be very high with Man of Sores in the bookstore in the airport. Yeah, you know, so it can so, turn some people off. I knew that too, but I, I thought that was a great title, um, and and that sees you the the Man of Sores, the character Hunter. Yeah, you know, yeah. and again, not to give it all away, Icarus, Man of Sores, and Hunter. Or, well, I'm trying not to give it away, so I'm just I'm letting right. you I'm letting you talk. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was. But uh, you're really not of, giving away um, yeah, any, the plot or anything, but uh, it's called Call Me Hunter, and it's got your name underneath it. And for those who know you and they see this, they're going to just automatically grab it and say, oh, Jim Chalky's got a novel out? This is your first novel. I mean, you've written books before, and you've written, yeah, written thousands books. of yeah. articles. Yeah, and I, I've got four books waiting in the wings to to publish. Are ready to go to design. One is actually a, a you know a love story of Louisiana and I, you know, I, I, and that is autobiographical and, and biographical because Louisiana and I, uh, we uh, you know I wrote it, but but Louisie's input uh, in the last year, and and it's it's done and ready with like three hundred photographs or. 200 photographs of, oh, nice. you know, and it tells one. our love story from the beginning about both of us coming up. So that, that one I, I may release sooner than later. You know, um, that would make a great it, movie. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's a love story, right? It it's, make a it's, great movie. Uh, and it's, I don't know, Romeo and Juliet, Louise and Jim doesn't quite work. Baba and Nana, that kind of works. <laughs> Baba and Nana. <laughs> yeah, that's what my kids call me as Baba. You know, so like that's Ukrainian grandmother, which Somehow, you know, that was supposed to be Louise. What the grandkids called her was Baba, because that's Ukrainian grandmother. That's what I call my Baba. Ukrainian great grandmother. But uh, somehow they got it mixed around. It became Nana and Baba. So I'm I'm Baba. But but it, you know it is it is um, yeah it's a love story. And I, I think it was an important to tell Louise's story because she's so humble and so you know just such a pure soul that she was never going to tell her herself. And yeah. I, so I did it. Well, you guys and have led an amazing lives, and you know people. People are deeply interested in that. So, I, you know, I, if if it makes a difference in people's lives, a positive difference, and they're in their relationship, and they they realize, I've had, I mean, thousands of people have been reaching out yeah. since this last week, and uh, and they all say the same thing. The messages are all the same. That Louise touched them and made them more appreciative of their own relationships, and each day, how precious that is you, you, you yeah. just don't squander it just look for the beauty and the the Absolutely. wonder and the positive in this but world. you know That's the people who it's going to really affect the most and be the most beneficial to your grandchildren yeah yeah they, they're they the all, ones who, who, yeah, you, it, who you're really doing uh, it for yeah i think so it, you know i i mean my grandparents i wish you know they would have 
taking the time to tell their story to me, you know, that, that you know, right. so that I would have it for for my children and for their children, so they know who is their great great, who's their antecedents. Yeah. You know, nowadays we just don't know. I mean, I guess you know if it's you, you have George Washington as an antecedent, but uh, you know, most of us like my, but they're still fascinating lives. I mean, my grandparents came from the old country. Yeah. So they both spoke Ukraine on my mom's side, Ukrainian. Yeah, and but they had, you know, they came from Poland. They had Polish passports, but they spoke Ukrainian. So how did that happen? None of that, ever, those stories never got told. If they would have done the same thing, and to be fair, they were working. You know, they were working, and sure. I have the luxury of being able to sit and 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 type a story. You know, so they they didn't have time. They were putting the crop in. They were harvesting. Yeah. You know, they were looking after ten kids, nine but, kids. But know, it's they, a, so it's, it, it's up to us as, you know, the grandchildren, the children to go and get that story for our children and, yeah. and pass it on and, and do it from generation to generation. You know, it's something that I regret deeply because all my grandparents are, are gone. They're past. And, um, you know, I didn't really sit down and, and talk to them or really show any interest in where our family came from, how you guys got here, where, you know, what did you do yeah. when you were young? What about your parents? Yeah. And, and that's, it's difficult. I mean, I, you know, I think that way. I think into the future. I, you know, I think legacy. I think, you know, I, I, have, I think I have a, a perspective that, you know, I live in the future. What's going to happen when my great grandchildren, they don't know who, Baba, you know, that guy back then, who he was. Well, here, now they know. Here's the book. Yeah. But because I thought like that, you know, I, 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 my parents were there and, and I tried, I tried to sit down with my mom and dad with a, with a recorder, but I mean, mm -hmm. it takes, you have to live with somebody for a year. Louise and I live for every morning. We'd sit there and I'd say, okay, what do you think about this? Like, what's your, tell me the story of your childhood. And, and it, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And, and so that means you know, nobody should feel guilty because they didn't, or you yourself about your grandparents, it, because it's, it's really hard to do, but here's what you have to, the way you have to look at it. You can do it. So you are thinking about your grandchildren, not, you thinking about your grandparents, right? You set it up for your grandchildren because time passes and suddenly you're going to be the grandparent that's gone and, and you left something, but you need to take the time for your own life. Yeah. Very difficult to do it for your, your parents. I mean, it, it's just hard. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but everybody needs to do it now for their own lives because we're not here forever. And this is our, our sort of myopic vision of life that we think we're immortal and we'll just keep going. Like we are, my wife is 66 healthiest person in the world. Never, I mean, she never smoked, never drank. I mean, socially, never, you know, I mean, deep fried. I, I swallow deep fried everything. I mean, give me French fry, I'm happy. And, <laughs> right. You know, everything bad. And and here, 66, she's the one that, that gets this ticket. You know, we're all going to get it at some point. Yeah. You know, so so we think we're going we're gonna to be around. We'll do it later. We'll do it later. We'll do it later. Procrastinate. You know, do it now for you gotta your children. Got to live for today. And you're yeah just do it but and don't worry about what your grandparents or parents that you didn't do it for them or they didn't do it you can do it you know so so that's what i did on that book but uh, i also have to write a sequel it was a two-book deal with simon and schuster so i've got ah. a and this story's not done obviously you, you read yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah i had a different ending well i, I was gonna say in, when you were talking about the you know the titles i was like for your first this is the great title to get people hooked and then now you can go with those you know those other titles yeah, and because You've established yeah, yourself they, by that time. Once, once they, uh, once they read it, you know. I don't. Do you know who Jim Zumbo is? Jim Zobo. Jim Zumbo. Who's He's like? 
the outdoor life. This one, I even answer though we're it. on your podcast, answer it. Hey, hey, big Jimbo. I can't. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm good, Jimbo, and I know you're calling about Louise, but I'm actually on a podcast, and you are too. I've got my phone. Hey, Jimbo. It's Jim Zumbo. It's yeah. So, so it's it, the Talking Lead podcast. So we're. I'm talking to Lefty here, and you you call a but uh, I, I, there's no way I'm going to disrespect okay. you by not taking that call. But I'll I'll phone you back as I soon insisted. as uh, I get off this. Okay, let's. Yeah, okay, talk okay, Jimbo. Right. Talk to you. Bye, bye. Bye. Yeah. Zumbo is a dear friend. Uh, I've got him on my phone here. I don't know if anybody noticed, but he's listed as my hero, <laughs> and yeah, you know, that's that's who he, he was. I remember walking into a. I think it was in Missouri. Tony Knight, uh, the originator of the inline muzzleloader, yeah. had a had a, a sort of industry hunt about 90, 90 89, somewhere in there. And I, I walked in this little place in Missouri that you know where we're all staying, and and you know there was like Larry Weishun sitting there, and and Bill Jordan, and um, oh my brain's gone dead, uh, but uh, Zumbo was sitting there too, and and uh, I. I, I like that's Jim Zumbo, and I, I literally walked up and said, "You're Jim Zumbo." He said, "Yeah." And I said, "You're my hero," and I shook his hand. And and so every single time I see Jimbo, I, I you're my hero, Jimbo. And, and <laughs> you know, but he, those guys deserve the recognition. You know, the, oh, the yeah. so Trailblazers. I that's man. why I'm sorry I took the phone call. No, that was, th- that was our honor that you took that phone call. So th- <laughs> thank you. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's a good man. We got know? Jim on yeah. the podcast, and he didn't even know it. So. Yeah, exactly. He's no, I guess I have had him on the show too. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a wealth of stories. I mean, that's oh, yeah. but, but anyway, my my novel I had a different ending. It was, um, it, I left it as a cliffhanger originally, mm-hmm. and and Jack Carr read it. You know, Jack, great, amazing, yeah. amazing he's guy. Been on the show he several read, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just super guy and and uh, talented, and he's walked the walk. But he read it, and loved it. He he passed it on to Emily Bessler. Mm-hmm. Who's the rock star of editing in in yeah. uh, New York City? Simon and Schuster discovered so many of the the new best selling authors. That's her stock and trade is finding the next greatest author, and and she loved it, but she said very clearly, "You're not gonna you're gonna have to finish this because you can't you you are on your first novel cannot leave a cliffhanger. Uh-huh. You'll you'll just get everybody angry." So I so I had to write the first four chapters of the second book. And tack them on to the end because that I wanted everybody to read. Okay, you got to read the second book now. To, but she said no. You got to you got to put a little bit more of a bow on this thing. And gotcha. And uh, and, and but I mean it's still open ended because there's still the rest of the. I actually envisioned it as a three book, you know, three novel story because I can't tell it in yeah. two. So there will be a third as well. You and Jack, you know, very similar, you know, kind of stories. Is like he, he always envisioned that he was going to write a book too. He was he was going to be a novelist and from from a very young age. And, you know, he kind of patterned his life to to make that happen as well. So very similar, you know, kind of mindsets. And- yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I think that it's just a gene inside you. Like like I knew what I was going to do in my life. You know, people said, well, you're lucky. Well, I guess so. You know, but I, I also lived every second, every breathed every second towards that goal. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go sideways. I, yeah. Everything was towards that goal. So I guess it's luck, but it, you know, you just keep going. No, it's not luck. It's I, dedication too. Cause it takes, it takes an immense amount of, of willpower and dedication to not get off course. 
you know it's it's, it's the, the allure of the easy road is the you know the sort of fascinating road for that day the the wind's blowing this way so i go this way yeah you know everybody's going to the party you know but i i don't want to i'd, I'd rather be researching or reading this book or yeah you know whatever refinishing this this or restoring this piece and, and yeah you, you know yeah you just don't you, you don't it's hard work but it's it's not even work it's not that either because it's not work I never, I have never worked. I, I mean, I was unemployable besides <laughs> the fact that I didn't work, you know, because I, I, I would be a employer's nightmare because I have my own vision. And if it, it, you know, if it didn't fit into where I was headed, you know, I wouldn't have done it. You've I, I always been your own boss though, haven't you? This way? You've always been your own boss, haven't you? Yeah. I, yeah. I never, well, I mean, technically for the last 39 years, not. Yeah. Was, oh, I had, there was a higher power in our house that, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. If she, yeah, I mean, that was the level of her love. If she ever asked me to quit whatever I was doing, I would have. Sure. But she would never do that because she knows I would quit. And that's, she didn't, she didn't need me to prove it to her, my, my devotion to her. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, but, but to, to get somewhere like, like Jack did, that's, that's an exercise in desire. You, you have, it's desire. And, and I've said this before, Willa Cather in a book, called the professor's house she she wrote that desire is the that i think i'm going to probably paraphrase a little bit but sure. desire is the magical element in creation or creativity and if you could invent an instrument to measure desire you could predict achievement so so it, and it's the truth if you have the desire people you know people ask you know how, what do i ask well if you have the desire you just do it you know you want to yeah i want to i want to hunt as much as you do well you know, but and then the next line is, but but where I live, there's not big whitetails, or there's not, you know, there's not. Well, okay, so move, you know, move. Don't right. don't tell me you have a job and you need to do that job. There's jobs where you want to move to that, and there's animals you can go hunting all the time here in British Columbia, Alaska, if you Wyoming. I mean Montana. Yeah. Move. Don't sit where you are if you have a problem with that place and say, that's not actually the reason that you're not succeeding in attaining the goal that you have because mm -hmm. you actually don't have the desire to to reach your goal yeah and, and i know there's people saying i oh, know things happen in my life they do yes they do yeah they I do agree. and you know people in your life too again you know, it's like you were saying earlier you know surround yourself with the people that are going to help you accomplish your desires your goals you know the positivity because i mean i can remember growing up you know telling people what i wanted to do and all the negativity is like oh you'll never be able to do it you can't do it. i wanted to be an astronaut yeah, when when I was like you, I mean, when I was young. I was like, that's what I wanted to do. I remember sitting in in uh, fifth grade, and you know, we're talking about Neil Armstrong and uh, you know, first man on the moon. I was like, that's what I want to do. And yeah. I listening to the people, you know, it it just kind of got me, and I gave it up. I did do, yeah. I did, I did get into aviation though. So oh, that's good. <laughs> so I, adjacent, you're, you're but. Pilot? Yeah, I started off pro pilot, and then I went administration. No, yeah. that's cool. I mean that that's that's I mean that's it's on the path to becoming an astronaut. But if you it was you got sidetracked at all along the I way, I got sidetracked. And, <laughs> yeah, it, but it's but part of that is people saying no. I mean, there's yeah. always a thousand reasons why not to do something, a thousand, and there's yeah. only one good reason to do it. You know, so so that's the, the only one you need. You got to ignore the thousand. You know, naysayers and quackers and, yeah. and just self-doubts. 
and and just do it. But but again, you you know, it's it's uh, it, it was uh, John Gardner and Grendel said there's no limit to desire, but desires need. So that's the limit of desire, and you add that with Willa Cather's yeah. quote, and you end up with, okay, you, you are to, what you are. And you, you have are to feed exactly your desire. You, yeah, you got to feed that desire. Yeah, and you want to be an astronaut, longer. you literally, you better, you better not go sideways anywhere yeah. along that path because, you know, there's a lot of people who want to be an astronaut, and, and some of them are dedicated. You know, Very and, few percentage. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. But, but hey, what? now I'm a podcaster and I've got Jim Shockey on my show. So the second best thing to be an astronaut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to circling Mars. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, being yeah, the first man on Mars. Sprays. That's right. Yeah, good luck with that one. You're, <laughs> you're counting on me bringing that. Come on, man. So. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to boost my ego a little bit here. <laughs> hey there, Leadhead Brigade. Lefty here with some important news for you. Forecasters from the University of Arizona warn that 2023 will be a very active hurricane season and they're asking people to get prepared. They're expecting the number of major hurricanes this year to be similar to 2017, which saw the extremely intense and damaging hurricanes that we all heard about, Harvey, Irma, and that nasty old Maria. How bad can it get? Well, when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast, it destroyed countless homes and left many without access to food, clean water, millions lost power. Most didn't have power for weeks. The floods that followed the hurricane washed out the roads, made it impossible for grocery stores to restock their shelves. Families were left hungry and desperate, waiting for help that was slow to arrive. But what if you didn't have to be reliant on the government, FEMA, your neighbor, grocery stores during these crises? The answer is simple. Be prepared with emergency food kits from 4Patriots. Their long-lasting, delicious food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. 4Patriots survival food kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes. They include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. They've even got some snacks that are tasty. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. Just go check out their website, 4Patriots.com, and read them for yourself. 4Patriots Survival Food is not just for natural disasters. Because in today's world of uncertain supply chains and unpredictable emergencies, it's more important than ever to have a backup plan. Whether it's a temporary power outage, a winter blizzard, or rising food costs, which we're all feeling that these days, right? You can rest easy knowing that you have a reliable source of food to see you through it. And right now, you can go to 4 and use this exclusive code, LEADHEAD, all caps, LEADHEAD, one word, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, not just their food kits. So go check them out, 4 Use the code LEADHEAD to get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food. That's 4Patriots.com, guys. Use the code LEADHEAD and get that 10% off. So the the museum that you have, the Hand of Man, how did you come up with the the name of of the museum? (laughs) You know, it's in a little village called Maple Bay here on Vancouver Island, sort of north of Victoria, the capital city of Vancouver Island. And, uh, you know, I I was thinking Maple Bay Museum, you know, and I don't want my name in it because it's not a, it's not about me. 
Mm. Yes, I collected everything in here. And, and you, I, I can't describe it to people. It's indescribable. They can Google it. Google Handa Man Museum and it'll come up, you know, zillions of reviews. You've got a website, we, we right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we'll have over 30,000 visitors this year to our museum. And it's yeah, it's donation only. You know, nobody, there's no cover charge. And, and that reason I, I did that because I grew up in a trailer park, as I said, and I couldn't have come in with a $1 cover charge. But if it was donation, I could have brought an insect or a pretty rock or, you know, you know anything I found along the way. Um, so it's always going to be donation. I'm going to bring and, it up as you're talking about it here so for our uh, viewing audience. Sure. Oh, there you go. Boy, that's that's pretty fancy. But yeah, there, there's we'll have over 30,000 visitors this year. And uh, and it's when I was trying to think of the name, you know, the museum in Maple Bay, and you know, I didn't want my, it's not a, an eagle thing at all. It's not a hunting museum. It's not shoulder mounts. Uh, it's filled with skeletons and, and uh, full body mounts, but also there's a much higher number of, of cultural ethnographic pieces from around the world, Idiosync idiosyncratic folk art. There's mid-century modern art in here. There's woolly mammoth skeletons, you know, authentic. Oh, really? Oh yeah, cave bear skeletons. There, there's narwhale skeletons. This. How do you acquire it, it, a woolly mammoth skeleton? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, the easiest way you can do it is you use the money hose and wash the problem away. You know, like it's. Uh, you know, there. I don't think you could pick one up right now today for less than half a million dollars, if you could find one uh, mm. available. They, they, you know, they originally, the ones that are on the market. Or were you know were they come accessible? Came from Alaska for the most part. There's some from Russia, but I, I think there's probably embargoes right now or you know, trade you yeah. know, issues to get them across. But there just isn't there isn't that many. Um, this one um, came from a friend of mine down in Missouri. It was in his kitchen. What? You know, and, and it's yeah, you know, <laughs> he's got a big his kitchen. Wife, enough enough of the woolly mammoth in the kitchen. And he had a big house, obviously, but uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I got it from him a long time ago. But uh, yeah, there's there's dinosaur skeletons and and I mean skulls of every kind of creature around that that um, anyone that's interested in natural history, arrowheads all through here too, cultural arts. So when I was looking at it, you know, one of the most powerful symbols in the world, you know, for us as humans is is that the hand, you know, that you see it on you know. They blow on the paint on caves all over since. What was that movie with uh, Tom Hanks and he's got it on the soccer ball? Oh yeah, yeah. The Wilson was stranded on the island. Wilson. Yeah. What was? That? Yeah, Wilson. That's right. Yeah, yeah Wilson. I can't remember the movie. movie, but yeah, great movie. But but it's it, it it this symbol speaks so much. It means stop. It also means you know I'm not armed. You know we turn it sideways and shake hands. You know we we salute. High five. Yeah, I mean it, it's. It's a powerful, powerful symbol, and it has been all through, you know, the history of human beings. So, so I, I wanted, I was thinking, hand, hand. Well, that's cool. I like that, and I love that logo. I don't know, we don't have one in the background here, but uh, I get it. I don't want to me, but, but it's, you know, the hand with the, the blown-on paint, you know, red against black. Uh, I thought it's, it's about as powerful a symbol, and it speaks to everything that's in here because everything in this museum was, was created by by you know hands of human beings so when i started thinking okay hand of human being hand of people you know trying to be politically correct about it uh, you know hand you know hand of us you know it 
but then hand of man, hand of man, hand of man. It kind of rhymes. And and it's, you know, a museum to me should never be, it, it should never be sanitized to fit into the, whatever way the wind's blowing socially at any given period of time. You know, a museum can be about politics, but it should never be politicized. You know, our our, our museum here, our our, um, our Royal BC Museum in Victoria, fabulous facility, and they're they're decolonizing it. So anything to do with you or me, if we're not, you know, we weren't indigenous, they're is, taking is the history being, out of the museum. They're getting rid of Captain Cook's little you know, an exact replica of his sailing ship, you know, when he discovered, the Western world discovered, you know, Western world, the, the European world discovered right. this coastline. You know, I mean, it was really cool to walk into Captain, now, yes, okay, he was associated with, with colonization. So, so they're out. Now, I, you know, and I... I mean, that's history. That's it. history. I know, I know. Oh. Museums, museums, they have to say, this is what happened. I mean, there's Holocaust museums, right? Yeah. Learn from it. Don't sanitize them. Try and hide it and say it's for education. Of course, and learn from it. If you if you hide it, you're again you're doomed to repeat it. it so so this museum again, there's not a there's no government funding in here. It's all out of Louise's in my pocket or has been. We're donating it all to a foundation, a society that we're setting up. So we'll all have control of the mandates and protocols and. And I'll have a board of directors. I'll have them handcuffed from the grave for the next 40 years. <laughs> but we're donating everything. The land, 17,000 square foot building. It's all paid for. The, all the contents, every piece. There's, I don't know, 100,000, 200,000, quarter of a million pieces of wow. you know, c- cool stuff in here. That's all being donated. And this is all and, stuff that you've personally, over the years, all over the world, have, have collected. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, there's pieces that are, do, are donated there's a big marlin a mounted marlin um there's there's a crystal by that's Ron somebody Coleman. just rubbing it in there when they donate that <laughs> they're just rubbing it in <laughs> yeah yeah well because i've never actually caught one which is the irritating part but it's you know 760 pound marlin it's kind of cool to have it there with a video wow. of him catching it and yeah that's really nice when they donate it and there's yeah. a few arrowheads and things like that that are donated and there will be a little sign but otherwise you know now some of the pieces like the arrowheads, they came out of collections. I found a pile. There's, you know, there's hundreds in here that I found personally all around the world. My dad and collected it, arrowheads. Yeah. And he had my a, a huge arrowhead collection. And I don't know if my mom still has it or not, but if she does, I'll look and see. And maybe that might be something I could donate. Yeah. Good luck getting across the border anymore. I think you guys in the States just passed a new uh, law that Can't, anything 50 years of age that's got cultural of any cultural importance what? Can't, ex- can't be exported out of your countries anymore, out of your country, out of America. Yeah. yeah indigenous art forms and, you know, things like that. It's, there's some, I'm not, a, you know, I'm speaking under my hat here, but it's, yeah. but it's a new law that you, you like crossing the border anymore with those kind of things. It, you know, it's, it's again, a uh, protectionism, I guess, you know, good it's reason not protection. It's not, who's it, who's it protecting? It's not protecting anybody. That's, you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I can't. Maybe I for a special law, purpose so I, like I, that, they would let it go across. I mean, I don't know. I, I Don't ask me. I, there's some laws, like also, eight states where... Don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, there's eight states where you can't, the people of those states can't buy or trade in 
uh, uh, mammoth ivory, you know, mammoth, woolly mammoth, an extinct animal, and, the, and and they somehow there's some kind of logic that takes them to the place where that saves elephants in Africa right now. <laughs> and so you you can't have a woolly mammoth. You tusk can't have an extinct enough. tusk because it, it'll lead to the yeah, extinction. Yeah, I mean, they don't even look the same. They, I mean, they're the same shape, but anybody, I mean, anybody can tell the difference. And it, it's, I don't know, I have no idea. The the again, the logic sometimes defies common sense to me. But maybe I'm just not smart enough. It's a lot of laws. You know, a lot of laws defy common sense. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that's why that law. But but yeah, these. I, you know, I had a full-time person for 25 years. That's all they did was export, import. And it, and they would last about three years. And then the mind-numbingness of it. Of all the laws just, and everything. I'm out of here. You're, you, you know, the, you put all the paperwork. Oh, you forgot to dot an I. And this is six months later. Resubmit it with a, you know, resubmit your enter whatever fee you have. And, and you do, oh, this time you forgot to cross a T. I mean, it's that bureaucratic inaneness that drove that person that will work for me that full time, you know, crazy. And well, it kind of gets into despite. your, uh, you know, your your enemies, your villains in this book too. The I'm not going to say the name of the organization that you, but the organization that's you know kind of behind it all. It's, it's yeah. like they want to control yeah. everything, and that just seems where our world is headed. You know, where there's a one one world our power. World. That's I wasn't going to say you it. Didn't say it, but I'm going to say it. Our world is the name of the organization. Yeah, and 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 again, it's not deep state stuff. It's, it, it, I mean, it happens. It, it, <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, go ahead, research it. Go see if what's in this book isn't true. Yeah, it, it's uh, sometimes the truth is is they they said it is stranger than fiction. I don't know who to attribute that quote to, but it, I don't know. But it's it's been around know, for a long it, time. But yeah, yeah. Open up your eyes right now, seeing what's going on around this world, and and it's pretty strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I traveled 306 days a year on average for 20, 25 years and 200 days a year before that. I was a peregrinator, always was. I left home at 17. I actually hitchhiked when I was 14 from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan to Edmonton, Alberta, because I heard about a, some long lost uncle that had been to Africa. And, <laughs> and I heard he had a 300 Weatherby. And I'd never, I collected cartridges even at that age. Yeah. So I went, I, my mother to the day she dies swore she never gave me permission, but you know, I, I distinctly remember her saying, "Yeah, go ahead, hitchhike by yourself to Edmonton." Yeah, I'm not you know, gonna take you. Just, you know, <laughs> call me from a call me from a payphone when you get there. I mean, that didn't really happen, but I did hitchhike, and and so I've always been a, a travel, travel. Yeah, I was. He had a 300 Weatherby, and he did have a, you know, one of the original Mark Fives. I oh, think it was wow. back in the day, and Very he went nice. to Africa with it. And I mean, I, I literally knocked on the door. Hey. You know, great uncle, whatever, Dimitriov or whatever his name was. You know, it was Ed. It was great uncle Ed. You, it said, I'm, my name is Jim Shockey, and, and I'm here. I heard you went to Africa. And he, this big, you know, man looking down at me said, who are you? And, and then he invited me in and figured, I think he probably phoned my mom and said, I got him. He's safe. Oh, that's and, funny. Uh, yeah. And, and they sent me back on a bus. But uh, but it, but it was yeah, I got I got my three hundred Weatherby, and he he regaled me with stories of Africa, and that's and, awesome. You know, had pictures of Cape Buffalo. We shot a Cape Buffalo, and you know, I mean, for me at fourteen, this is from Saskatchewan, Canada. I mean, knowing somebody from Africa and, and talking, and here he was. I mean, I was yeah, I was fascinated. So so I did I did get my three hundred Weatherby cartridge. Very cool, and it will be in my cartridge collection. I mean, I, I collected my my I have found my diary. 
recently that I was writing from when I was 14. And, and it's not about what girls I met or, you know, it's none of that. It's all about what cartridges I collected. And, and I got a rabbit when I went hunting today. And, you know, I, I brought a gopher home that my mommy cooked for me. And What was the first firearm that you ever shot? It would, it would have, well, I mean, the first one was a, a 22 that my dad had and a Remington 22. I still have that. Yeah. Um, and, and a, um, and then I, I, used a pellet gun, you know, a Slavia pellet gun back in the day. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, dad didn't feel I was old enough to use a go hunting on my own, but, but I, you know, I, I, I didn't take that to mean you couldn't go hunting on your own. It meant that, or with a gun, it meant I couldn't go with my own gun, but I could borrow one from Jim Bates. <laughs> who down the, so I, I'd go there like literally six, seven in the morning on weekends and, and knock on their door. And the, the parents got so mad at me. They just leave <laughs> Leave the gun. The Just leave it right there. there. Yeah. And, I, and then I'd go by myself out into the, I lived right on the outskirts at that time uh, of Saskatoon and I could go and hunt rabbits. There was an old barn with rats in it. I could yeah. hunt rats. And uh, Of course, the so gun that, laws in Canada were different back then. Oh, you think? I, I took it right across the highway. I mean, a little kid yeah. with, a, with an air gun. I mean, imagine that now. We went to school. I carried a shotgun all the time in my, my car. Yeah. You know, it was we go we go out hunting right after school and and or sometimes miss school or go hunting but but yeah everything's changed since then but it was it was a bit yeah. of the 22 and then shotgun get a side by side shotgun that I still have as well well it, it actually got stolen but I got it back uh, it got stolen yeah, yeah all dad's guns were stolen from our ranch in Saskatchewan I had a big safe and someone you know blew out the wall and took the whole safe oh like, dang loaded it all and then uh, the police, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, did find it, all cut open with a cutting torch, and and um, they eventually did catch, the, well, the three of them, or they caught three of them with, with a couple of one of Dad's guns in their car. It was a shotgun, yeah. and uh, before they, you know, when I finally heard about this, I I, I heard they caught these people with dad's shotgun, which is really the gun I wanted back the most because him and I spent so much time together with hunting upland birds in Saskatchewan with that gun. And um, the RCMP told me, no, it's been, it's been sawed off. So you can't uh, have it back. It's a, it's a prohibited firearm now. And uh, I said, okay, well, that's the way it is. What a sad thing. And it was seven years after the fact, I got a call from, from a, I'm not going to even say who. Sure, you won't get in it, trouble. <laughs> I'm not going to say, but I'm just going to say that I got a call saying, uh, "You ever get your guns back?" And and I said, "No." He said, "Did you ever look into it?" And I said, "Yeah." They they told me they go they caught the people, and and he um, the gun was sawed off, and and I said, "I never heard." They never told me what happened to the people. These three people. And he said, "Well, one's dead, one's in prison, and one is still at large." You know, they of course let him out on bail and yeah. gone. Um, but he, and then he said, uh, have you looked into your gun any closer than that? Your dad's gun. And I said, no, he said, well, I'll check on it. And I got a call a little bit later. So your, your dad's gun isn't sawed off. It's in a short case. It was taken apart. Oh. So, so whoever looked at it, told me it was sawed off, just assumed it would be a big long case. look at it. Yeah. A, you know, it's a, it comes apart, break action. Yeah. So it comes right apart. And, and he said, he said, just, he said, I'll, I'll be in touch. And, uh, I got my gun back. Dude, that so, is awesome. So my dad's my dad's shotgun. So I still have that. But uh, yeah, it's it was, good it that a, you still have those. Too. You you still got the first gun you ever shot. Yeah. You know that is yeah. amazing. 
Yeah, I had I I had a my old Slavia pellet gun. I might still have that somewhere too. You know, the seals are all gone. It wouldn't even. It was only I don't five hundred feet a second in the day, so yeah, it wasn't. But, you know what a you know what a piece of heirloom. You know, that's a family heirloom right there. That's yeah, pretty cool. Of course it is. People don't realize that that, that they you know the urban centric people don't you know where we shouldn't have guns. They don't realize the sentimental value, the tradition, the, you know, the paying of respects to who was there before you, to who brought us to the dance, how we got to the dance. It was hunting. It was using guns. Yeah. And, and that, you know, so there, there's a, there's a deep value beyond the dollar value, the economic value of, of each firearm when it gets down, passed down through a, through a line. Did you shoot a gun before you took up bow and arrow? Archer. About the same time. I, same I time. fancy myself an archer and a slingshotter. And, slingshotter. I mean, yeah. I, even a sling. I mean, I, I tried it all. Uh, so I, I was hunting rabbits with a bow and arrow way, way back when I was that age. You know, was, and I, no one could really say much about that because you know, it's a bow and arrow. So I was yeah. old enough earlier than a, a firearm. So I, I was an archer. Uh, then I, I, you know, I became... A center fire rifle hunter. My first deer was you know, with an old British 303. Uh, I was 14. Uh, you know, but center fire, high power, center fire rifle, right. high power ish. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, I took up archery again, but I realized I tried my, I got a few deer and, and bears, but I, I realized I wasn't, I wasn't patient enough to be an archer. You know, and, and we didn't use tree stands or anything. So it was all sure. stock and stock. And I'd, I'd take four hours to sneak up on a deer. And it would stand up with its rear end towards me and look back at me, and and I couldn't take the shot. Yeah, you're like, turn and around, I, turn I, around. And then I was too, the battle between take it, don't take it, take it, don't take it. You know, those little devils on one side and the angel on the other side. You know, the ethical angel. Yeah, you know, I, I, I it was just too great of a battle, too stressful for me, and I <laughs> want to take the shot. I, yeah. I can do it. I can do it here. You know, and and so I I. I, I wounded a deer one time, and I because of that, I you know I answered the wrong calling and yeah. uh, took the wrong took the easy road, and 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 I I put the bow down and never used it for for quite a few years. I switched to muzzleloader, which I thought was the perfect combination between high power centerfire rifle, that you know, and not as much challenge obviously, yeah, and bow and arrow too much challenge for you know mentally a little weak person. So so that was me. So so I muzzle was perfect because but now if I snuck up four hours I still had to get as close as archery pretty much in those yep. days. So you still take the shot. Hundred grains of powder. It was it was a short wings old primitive weapon. I mean, it, people nowadays they can shoot like they're pretty fancy, but that's not what I used. And and you know so it was a perfect combination. I got to hunt like I like sneaking up on them like archery, but yeah. but then when I stood up and tried to do that I could you know I could take you the definitely shot. get an ethical but shot. I, yeah. Yep, I used archery for years and or muzzleloader, and that's all I did. I mean, I was a, a avid, avid muzzleloader hunter. I, everything in North America, I hunted 100 grains of powder. I didn't do anything, you know. I didn't use 150, 200 to speed it up. I just used, yeah. you know, I wanted a relatively primitive. And then, even though I used a scope, because I believe in that, um, and uh, and then I got back as I got older. Yeah, you know, I mean, it started with the what I hunted. You know, it was the what I had to get the big deer. I had to, you know, to use a rifle because that's easier. I got to get that. Sure. What it moved. Then, it, then it became the how I hunted. You know, so it became important muzzleloader only. I never use a rifle. Why? You, and then bow and arrow. That's 
it's how I hunted, but now because it's more of a challenge. Is that why? Is that in your mindset? Makes the hunt last longer. Yeah. And I, you know, but now it's now it's the why I hunt. So I I can still use centerfire rifle. I use you know bow and arrow. I use crossbow. Heck, I even have a bunch of marbles. I was actually looking to see if I could get a proper slingshot, a modern slingshot. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because it, you know, it's, it's the why, why are you out there you Yeah. Know, to touch, to, to get in touch with your ancestral soul. And that's why I hunt now is just to be out there. To be the out with nature. Yeah. So. Now, um, uh, maybe a little known fact about you is that you were in the Air Force? No, no, I was in the Canadian Armed Forces. Canadian Armed so Forces. I, yeah. So, so I, I was, um. And I didn't come up through the ranks, so I don't want anybody to think that I, you know, deserve this. But I was—we're on the British system here, so we, the troops can pick a commanding officer that that works with the existing commanding officer that came up through the ranks. So, and I think they did it back when in the British, you know, way back when in the Empire days, and before that, because the troops wanted to get paid, so they could pick. So there's the real general, but then yeah. there's, you know, the 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 money guy that's right. going to get them paid. <laughs> Yeah, the Duke or whatever that they, you know, he then became a military, you know, full uniform and, and with rank. And you have, it's full rank. I mean, I had all the authority except on a field of battle as the commanding officer who was a lieutenant colonel. I, I was, so I was tapped on the shoulder and said, you know, you've been chosen by the troops. And then you have to go through a, a, a fairly rigorous vetting process yeah. um, because it takes, I believe it takes an order in our federal parliament you know, order and council in our federal parliament um, and signed off by the minister of defense. Yeah. And even our queen, you know, has to be involved. Uh, you know, the governor general, I'm not sure who signs on her behalf. But uh, And then you're in full uniform and you are, I was an honorary lieutenant colonel, H.L. Cole, a four ranger, a four Canadian ranger patrol group. So the rangers are a, um, you know, they're, they're a, they're a, um, you know, non-regulation force in Canada. They guard our furthest borders. So mm-hmm. it's the it's the um, the Inuit people and the indigenous peoples on the coast, or or people you know not indigenous that live on those areas right. that are part of the Rangers. So I was in four Ranger or four Canadian Ranger Patrol group. How many that years did, my, did you do that? Uh, six years I did that. I think I I ended. Up, you're only allowed six years. You're allowed three. And if, if you do a good enough job and the troops still want you, then you can do a second three. Um, and then, then you're pretty well have to retire. Yeah. And I think. Well, that's kind of an honor. That. I mean, it's a real honor because you're, you're, I don't know if they nominated, I wouldn't say elected, but you're nominated by, by your troops. Yeah. Selected. You know, yeah. Chosen. I mean, they, uh, it's a huge honor. Yeah, that, you know, that's my, you know, my people are the ones that are out in those wildlands. Uh, yeah, I, I probably don't have to buy a beer you know, anywhere. <laughs> in the you know, I don't think you have to buy a beer anywhere you go, Jim. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. Trying to, you, downtown New York City, which wow. is actually, you know, I, I was on the board of directors of um, Faradine, you know, the archery company, big archery company. So I'd have to go out there for the board of directors meeting, and I'd walk down the streets of New York City. And I, you know, I had a cowboy hat on, so it's not exactly like I don't stand out. They thought you were Crocodile no, Dundee, I, didn't they? It's what? They thought you were Crocodile Dundee, didn't they? No, I, I think a lot of them mistook me to sit urban dwellers for, there's some guy that used to hang out at, I don't know, whatever the main, Fifth and Saks Avenue or whatever. 
and he had a cowboy hat, and I think he was naked, and he played <laughs> guitar. And so, so I, I think I know they, what you're uh, talking about now. Yeah, I think they people would sometimes mistake me for that guy, but, but um, no, but no. There's I'd be walking down the street, and someone would go by, "Hey, Shocky," you know. So there's definitely hunters even in downtown New, in York, New York City York. with all the skyscrapers. Yeah, I I can't imagine that you go many places that you're not recognized. So with all the traveling that you've done uh, and you've been to some remarkable places and you, I'm sure you've met some remarkable people. What's, what would you say had the most impact on your life and the the course that your life uh, Hmm. has taken? Yeah, that's a a variation on a question. I, you know, that I get asked, you know, what's your favorite place? Um, Yeah. There, you know, the Yukon, just how pure the wilderness is in the Yukon. That that's, I think, the most beautiful place I've ever been. I mean, my Rogue River opening territory up there is seven point five million square acres. Oh wow! There's not a single road. There's not a house other than our cabins on various lakes and along the rivers. That's amazing. Uh, all accessed by airplane only, and and. I mean, you, you just go for an hour and a half. You're still in the territory. You never left it, and you, you've seen nothing but wilderness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, there's a spot up there. I go to. I try and get there every year. This year, I only got up for three days. Normally, I'll be up there for at least a month. You know, longer. Yeah. You can watch the seasons change. You can literally, in six weeks, you can be there for spring. You can bring there for the whole summer, for the fall and winter. You know, in those six weeks, right. it just. It warms up and boom, it's you know here and then winter comes from the north. Wow. Boom. So so I, but there's a spot up there I sit and and it's I you know I can see thirty miles this way, thirty miles that way, three miles across this flat, beautiful you know alpine alpine I mean scruffy mountain birch and and yeah. yellow will, willows, but flat three and, miles across. And nothing man made. You see, what? you see nothing man made. It's just no, all no. nature. It, pure wilderness and and that i mean siberia is like grand central station compared to the yukon <laughs> i mean there's just people everywhere in the rivers everywhere but out, out there there's just no access unless it's by airplane and there's not a lot of airplanes in the yukon there's only what forty thousand people live in the yukon most of them live in whitehorse right on the very southern border just above bc so so it's it's just so you know, purifying. I don't, I don't know. You get away. You, you, I say goodbye to civilization time when you go back. Yeah. When that airplane leaves, just drops cleanses, you off of that lake. Cleanses you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. I know, I, you know, now with Elon Musk, you know, I can use my cell phone. Uh, Is Elon calling you now? No. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think he, I, I probably won't hold my breath for that call. But his yeah. satellite's coming over top, you know, Starlink or whatever they call it. You know, so even there, you know, we're, yeah. We're, LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, I can I can send videos in real time from up there. So, oh, that's so it's amazing. not quite as pure as it was, but it but it's still yeah. you know, you can ignore that and, and uh, But to get out there of, and and especially you know, you say looking up at nighttime and you can see, you know, the stars without without all the artificial light, you know, yeah, that amazing. come from the cities and what well, I I can imagine that that would be very surreal, very very humbling to just make you feel yeah, it's like I say, you get in touch with your ancestral soul when you're standing there and, and when you see comets and you see the Milky Way, like you've never, planets, you know, the constellations are, are like right here in oh, your yeah. face. 
and then and then the northern lights come and and uh, you i mean anyone that's never seen the northern lights you have to do it because it's it really is not real i mean just the sky is going like this and crackling mm-hmm. and there's colors are changing on the on the given nights it, it, it you just realize that, that this is a a very big universe and we're a very small part of it we're not a cosmic event even though i swear nowadays i talk to people you know the the you know that have certain ideologies and sure. i think they think they're the center of the universe and the co- we're a cosmic event no we're not yeah we're not talk to me in 10,000 years let's see if you're you know, ideas are right. Yeah. Talk to me in a we can't even fathom we can't even fathom a million years, let alone a hundred million a billion years. We can't fathom it. Uh-uh. Our, our brain is sixty five, you know, million, you know, it's, what's that? Yeah. yeah. That yeah, doesn't that exist. Is. I'll never see yeah. that. Introducing the Extreme Duty Polymer Mag from Mission First Tactical. MFT brings long glass fiber technology to its new Extreme Duty Polymer Mag, giving it the best strength and durability for polymer magazine bodies to date. With military and law enforcement demanding reliability, the Extreme Duty Polymer Mag is 50% stronger and three times more impact resistant compared to traditional glass-filled nylon. The four-way anti-tilt self-lubricating follower, constant internal curve design, and coated USGI spec stainless steel spring together keep rounds feeding reliably. Additionally, the oversized bolt catch increases bolt catch clearance. We have added a flared floor plate, but kept the slim bottom design, which gives excellent drop protection and ease of handling, while still allowing for fitment in double and triple magazine pouches. Toolless disassembly and double safety releases stop accidental ammo dumps and makes cleaning a snap. A thickened lower exterior adds to dimensional rigidity and maintained internal geometry, while well-defined front and rear rib finger impressions create aid in handling even with gloved hands and texture blocks on both sides of the body are ideal for thumb placement. This duty mag also features dual-sided flat body panels for a variety of printed or laser designs. The Extreme Duty Polymer Magazine is optimized for use in cold-spec AR-15M4 platforms, but is also compatible with other platforms such as HK416 variants, British SA-80, FM SCAR-16, and more. To find out more, visit www.missionfirsttactical.com. Go to missionfirsttactical.com, use the code LEADHEAD for an exclusive listener-only 20% discount. So I take uh, it that you're a a believer that there's life outside of our planet, outside of our universe? Logic is just irrefutable. I mean, you, you can't, when if you got an infinite number of, who is it said, an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters, you're going to get war and peace. You know, they're, they're just, it's just going to happen. And, and that means if you've got war and peace, you've, you've also got somebody else, you know, writing, call me Hunter out there somewhere. Right. So, so I, I think it's naive for us, but, but again, it's so, it's so outside of our, we, we talk about it in, in uh, terms that aren't even real, like, cause it's so far away. And, and, well, you know, and, the, and, the news nowadays and the government, our government, I don't, I don't know about the Canadian government, but the American government, you know, admitting that there are n- not aliens, but unidentified objects, you know, and, you know, they're showing the footage and all that, which, you know, they're feeding on people's, um, 
I don't know the word I want to use, but belief in that there's life outside of life here on on Earth. Do you think that that aliens have visited the Earth? Maybe not now, but maybe in the past, or you think they have been here? I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll answer that. I mean, I, you've been all over the I world. Think, I mean, for for somebody yeah, with your experience, yeah. I, I think human beings are amazingly ingenious. And we can do things, you know, you and I might not figure out how to do the pyramids, but there was somebody did. And I, I don't think that, that that knowledge came from uh, outer worldly sources. I, I think we're entirely capable of doing it. You know, what we've created in our world is is absolutely amazing. We should never be ashamed of what we've accomplished and, and you know, never never be apologizing for it. We, we yeah. look what we've built. And, you know, of course, I think we're capable of doing all of that, you know, without any outside source. Yeah. So I, that's my belief. I think that, you know, there's just geniuses that come along, read my book, that come along every once in a while that yeah. are above and beyond. They have something that the rest of us don't have. And I, I noticed in this museum, there will be people walking through here that they have, you know, they're, they, they have a sense that the rest of us don't necessarily have. They'll be in tears walking down this long hallway. And I, and I say, why? Because they can feel they feel things that the rest of us don't feel from these pieces. The spirit of each of these people that made each of these objects is in that object still. Yeah. You know, they're gone to heaven, wherever they're gone, whatever their faith was. But their spirit, that's all that's left of them on this earth. It's undeniable that it's there. It's part of it. I mean, yeah. It's kind it, of a, you know, a beauty yeah. that they couldn't have imagined on their own until they came there and they saw it. And Yeah, and, and they, they get overcome it. So I know, there's, I know there's people with, with these you know, abilities that are above what you and I can do uh, and people listening, there's, you know, one in a billion shows up and they just have a different ability. So I, yeah. I think that, the, you know, that's happened Back then, to your question about yeah. whether, you know, we've been visited, you know, I, I, I hearken back to that. What I said, the, um, we're not a cosmic event. Why, why would they bother? I mean, why, if they're that capable, why would they bother? You know, they're, 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 able to send, you know, they, they could probably do a, you know, I don't know, beam me up, Scotty, from sure. wherever they are. You know, <laughs> uh, why why would they? And especially it's, back you know, in our, little, our primitive days, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you, I mean, again, we we don't know time and, and light and how long it takes, and but I mean, if it's maybe we, light years. Remember it, the movie you know, Predator? It, it, maybe we taste yeah. good. <laughs> I, who knows? I mean, that's that makes good star or science fiction for science Star Wars. Fiction, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, a, I, you know, again, I, I just think that nature is an amazing thing, and nature, God, is 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 well beyond our comprehension. And I don't care how smart yeah. somebody is. There's there's a bigger picture, and I don't know why anybody from another planet would bother visiting us. Why we're not that important? You know, they missed the Laverne and Shirley reruns, or you know, I mean, they're. <laughs> <laughs> they really, I mean, they really we're, like we're just, our TV. You, you Earthlings have the greatest TV, Magnum PI. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, there's some pretty good TV. And th this is the thing we should we should actually bask in our own glory of what we've created, the art that we've created, and, and this is again the hand of man. It's unapologetic about what we've done. Be proud of it. Yeah. You know, everything we've done is 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 you know related to to love and and hate and beauty and and ugliness i mean it's all so it's all part of it so yeah. i i mean i don't 
like I say, back, don't sanitize like it is. And don't also think that we're so important that somebody, you know, 10 bazillion light years away needs to visit this yeah. little green planet forth from the sun, wherever that song goes, you know, they don't need to. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there'll be a whole, and though I'm sure the same guys that believe in Sasquatch are saying, they're going, he's a non-believer. That was my next, so I was going to say on the same I, vein, you know, I know. Again, you've been all over the world. You've you've seen some probably unexplainable things. Um, any anything to lead you believe to believe that there is a Yeti Sasquatch? You're gonna you're gonna lose ninety percent of my skunk ape potential buyers from my book. No, here this is gonna you. boost sales. <laughs> oh yeah, sure it is. Yeah, Shocky's a non-believer. It shows your creative mind. <laughs> the way you answered yeah. the the alien question was just like, okay, that's very creative. The well, Yeti or Bigfoot, um, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, whatever you are, there's no doubt that there's there's folklore in most of the places I've been about that. And usually, mountainous regions or forested regions because you yeah. can't see. Right. I, I haven't heard of you know Yeti stomping around the Sahara Desert. You know, I haven't heard anybody mention them. And I, you know, they probably have some deity that they talk about. Yeah, that that is maybe similar, but I I certainly didn't bump into that. Yeah. So it's places that you know where there's unknown, and and they've created, or okay, it either exists, and nobody's really seen it or seen actual you know have Evidence. pieces of it, um, or it's a way for us as human beings to to put a a. a picture an understanding of something we that's scary that we don't understand we haven't seen but it's a fearsome thing something happened that we have to we need to have as human beings something we can hang on to we need to put a like a, like a picture on it gotta have and, an explanation and, and so you end up with that or beowulf or you know i mean you, you end up Loch Ness monster Bale. i just watched the 13th Warrior game the other day, great movie. I mean, Anthony Banderas was fabulous in the North, the Northman. <laughs> you know, and, and there's you know these clawed animals that look like bears, but they're human beings dressed up. Yeah. You know, and, and so we need sometimes to be able to just live to the next day without you know the, this unknown, always there, unknown, unknown, unknown. We need something we can hang on to, and I think that's what's created this this myth, legend, legend of the uh, of the Sasquatch. The, the see what you did there. Let's see what you did there. So I, you know, I mean, I I'm pretty good at what I do. I think you know, certainly, you know, I've done a lot of it, so I should oh, be yeah. at least, you know, at least, you know, mediocre, but with a lot and a lot of experience. And I have never seen anything that remotely resembles Bigfoot that there's no sign there's no tracks there's no scat right. there's no sounds there's you know there's no hair caught on bushes there's no you know and I've never been anywhere and I've been to the you know the places this, you've been everywhere not, man yeah it's not, there's no all-inclusives where I go so I'm in pretty remote <laughs> places and the people there don't have a lot of interaction with outside you know us mm -hmm. and and um and there's nothing you know there's no indication of it there's nothing they can nobody's ever seen it now 
you know, there are people who say, I saw one, I saw one, you know, I, I have a, you know, a thing, whatever, I have a picture. Yeah. And they, they're all saying, oh, shock, he's an idiot, he doesn't understand that. And I believe that people believe that they've seen things. Sure. 100%. I think there's no question. I yeah. tell a quick story. I, I was in the mountains in the eastern part of British Columbia, heavily forested, you know, like um, beautiful, I mean, primal in, in that forest. And I, I was hunting by myself and I heard a, you know, I was sitting all of a sudden close, like within 50 yards of me. And I couldn't see that far. I could only see 50, like 20 yards. It was that thick. I, I heard a, I literally what, sounded like me this like, morning, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> there, there's a lot of us sound like that in the morning, but, but it, it just sent a shockwave of fear, like, like ancient inside us fear that my antecedents are all alive because they ran away from that crop. You know, they heard that gone. It's a lion. It's a bear. It's a Sasquatch. It's a yeah. whatever. But there's nothing in that part of the world that makes that sound. You know, I know every animal that's there that exists, that should exist, um, that's been proven to exist, and I've hunted them. And, and nothing makes that sound in my experience to that point in my life. Because I, I, I bears don't make that sound. You know, they do on TV, but they don't. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know moose don't make that sound. Elk certainly didn't make that sound. Deer don't. What so? Cougar, no, they, you know they're caterwaul, but that's not that sound. It was, it was big, deep, whatever. guttural, yeah, just the deepest. And and I, I, I when I was armed, I had a two seventy at that time, and I, I, you know, you know, I mean, it went through my head. Okay, whatever it is, going through your checklist, what could this be? What could this be? Yeah, well, I knew it's nothing I'd ever seen, never heard. Certainly never heard. Yeah. And, and uh, not in North America, you know, in other parts of the world, I've heard some crazy stuff. But I, you know, I, I went through my head, do I, let's go find out. And then the other part of me that the part that the reason all my antecedents survived long enough <laughs> to have me was a part to get the heck out of Dodge and, and just back out of here now, whatever it is, you just want any part of that thing. Right. Uh, and I backed out and I never told anybody. I went back, you know, there was, never told it. So we're hearing because, it here for the first time on the talking lead podcast. I, I might've told it once since, but certainly not, not for 20 years. And I, I have literally not told the story maybe once before. Jim, this is the and show I, for exclusives. So yeah. Yeah. Perfect. There you go. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> if I, was, I had too many years one night and blabbered the story, but I, I don't believe I have other than one other time. And, and it was years later, year, I mean, 20 years, I didn't tell anybody. And, and, you know, I had a lot more experience and I'd been around and I was in a forest in northern British Columbia, which, you know, I mean, it, it eerily, you know, brought back the same sense. And and sure as heck, I heard a and, and I just every hair in my body stood up on end. The same noise. Here it is again. 20 years thing, later. Is real. And oh, my God. And, and I. This time I didn't run. And I said, well, you know, I got to find out. So I waited and I waited. And I, I probably stood there an hour. And then I heard from the exact same spot, just a little ways away, a, a proper elk call. Right. And then I heard the, and, and I go, is it, you know, is it possible it's an elk? 
and, and I snuck in and sure as heck, it's two elk. One didn't know how to bugle properly. <laughs> one did. And, and, and I've heard it now since like in, in um, Turkey, yeah. you know, and, and also in Kazakhstan where the progenitor of today's elk is said to have come from. Right. You know, and then they spread out across and you get red deer going this way and you get elk uh, or wapiti going this way across the land bridge into North America. Yeah. And, and there, it's the exact same sound in Turkey. You, you listen to their elk, red stag, they call them. Yeah, it's that sound. But but I did not know it was an actual North American elk. I did not so know it's that just, it's North just American elk. An elk speaking Turkish. <laughs> Basically, yeah, or or speaking primitive. They're primitive. You know, back to the roots. It was just, and, and it, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like took you twenty nasty. years, but you got you know the answer to your your mystery. But I, but I went along for twenty years believing that there's something I didn't understand or know what it was. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to talk about it because you, you sound like a goof, you know what I mean? Or you sound like either that or you embrace the whole Yeti idea and, and Sasquatch and that's, you know, that's or what just, it was. But or just the unknown, you know, you just embrace the unknown. It's like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what and, it was. And it, yeah. And maybe I'll take it to the grave, but I'm not going to jump to conclusions because I didn't see anything. You know, I, I didn't, I heard something, yeah. but I didn't see anything. You're going to have to at least have two of my senses. What is the oddest thing that you have seen out in your travels? Just the oddest, just like, that is just oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been involved with some, like, amazing um, ceremonies all around the world. I can imagine. I, I remember I, I did a self-guided safari quote unquote to which just it's basically swahili for travel you know it means travel yeah trip um but i i, I landed in douala in cameroon so west africa jungles i mean it's it, it's a it's a wild place i mean very you know tepid fecund jungle you know, everything you imagine what tarzan in the jungles is yeah and not savannah tarzan i'm talking about the jungle tarzan and so I landed in Douala. Excuse me, my cameraman and I it was Todd Bisson at the time, and we um, hopped on a bus in Douala, Douala. you know, I mean, with all the chickens and people, and, and took the bus to Yaoundi. Um, in Yaoundi, I hired a, a bush taxi to take us out of Yaoundi to as far as the logging road would go. And when the logging road ended, because they're logging all that now, and yeah, and but the logging roads, they're not, they haven't logged everything. They're they're trying to, but they're uh, to the end of the road. And then from there, we walked in to a little village. You know, and there's going to be a village. There's a trail at the end of the road somewhere. There's a village along a river. And, uh, and we hired many of the local people for, for, to take, you know, to, carry enough gear for us, you know, because backpacks, you know, sure. it's hot. I couldn't even survive. I mean, um, we needed help. So we hired them and, and off we went for two days into the jungles. Kind of like the night, old Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, those there's no big temple. To tribe them at the end, but yeah. At least I didn't find one, but uh, yeah. you know, I was, I was looking for uh dwarf forest. But you got like a caravan or, of people helping you carry all your, your gear, yeah, gear and everything. Orders, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, there'd be maybe 10 in the, in the entire, but we hired them all right in the village. And, and before we went out that night, they, they started a ceremony. I didn't know what was going on, but they brought in, I don't know, it should be a shaman, a witch doctor, somebody very powerful in right. that village. 
and uh, she came all you know painted in white and she had uh, this bowl of white you know juicy stuff so i'm sitting there and you know and they asked me to bring my gun out too so i had my muzzle loader actually and uh I'm sitting there and, and, you know, talk, we're not allowed to film any of this. We're doing, uh, and she, she goes, she goes, comes up to me and drinks a big slurp of this. I go, what's she going to do? And she goes, and spit it on you. <laughs> and then she takes another big slurper and goes, spits all over my gun. And, and, you know, then she went to the next person in the lineup and the next person and spit all over all 10 of us that were going on this expedition into the jungle. And it was some kind of a, a ceremony, you know, like wipe your eyes and this this elderly lady, you know, just a little wizened up lady, you know, spit this white stuff all over us, and and it was, you know, just part of their their welcoming ceremony, welcoming ritual, committee. Yeah. Going to go on a trip. This was her blessing us essentially. Yeah, and you see that all over the world, different ceremonies. So yeah, I mean, I, I've been in some, yeah, some some. Which one was crazy. this? So I know to wear my goggles when I go there. Cameroon. Cameroon. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the Bantu people way out, way out in the furthest. Now, you know, the the Chinese are, are colonizing um, a lot of Africa. So so that's probably not like that anymore. They're colonizing you know, that, a lot of the world. Yeah, and we, we I I watched this happen for over twenty years, twenty five years. I you know I, I told everybody that would listen. You go over there, and it's like the Omo Valley, the one place that was the last frontier in Africa. Now, and I, you know, I, Louise asked me, my wife, if there was a place I'd been to, and if there was a spa within three miles, she's pretty happy. <laughs> you know, but she wanted to see if there's one place that I'd seen that I wanted her to see, and it also goes back to your question about, you know, the the place the place that I've been. Well, I said the Yukon, but also Ethiopia, the Omo Valley, and National Geographic had called it the last frontier in Africa. 20 well probably now it's probably 35 years ago and that's why i told her i said i'd really love you to see that place with the, the hammer and the Kara people yeah. it's just like untouched other than the ak-47s and and now last time i heard the the chinese have come in and they've dammed off the omo river and there's a city of 20,000 asian workers in there and and that's happening all over africa so Cameroon yeah. may well be like that now. I don't know. I'm hoping not. I mean, you hope that things kind of stay, but I mean, there's 8 billion of us in this world and we need resources to go. So absolutely. You know, they're, they're pretty bright. You know, they're pretty bright. They get their hands on the resources that we're going to need in the future. Not that we need right now necessarily. So they're yeah. doing it. And, and uh, I don't know if Cameroon is the same now. I haven't been there. You could probably like do a Google long. earth and zoom Look in down. down and see what kind of industries yeah, see, there now? Yeah, I mean it's, yeah, I mean the the environmental change and whatnot. I mean people really need to start looking at the big picture, not here, and think that this is representative in any way. Looks like you were talking about earlier, as far as you know, when we're talking about ourselves, is don't do it for the past, do it for the future. You got to look to the future. Yeah, yeah, you need you need to be thinking in the future and and, uh, and not just what's good for our backyard, you know, what, what's good for this entire world and, and, and what's, what's possible for this entire world, because 1 billion of us can do everything perfectly to make the environment, you know, you know, whatever drive electric cars, whatever yeah. the latest, greatest thing is, but 7 billion of, of us aren't going to do it. 
And and so what impact have you really made? You've postponed one eighth of of the time, of maybe. The world. Yeah. You know, but and they're not concerned with that. So they've got they're looking further ahead. They've got some kind of solution and they got some kind of little plan what, because they're like you said, they're colonizing a lot of different places. Yeah. I mean it, it, the Chinese. It, it's just naive to think any other way and, and uh I mean, I, like I said, it takes a lot smarter person than me. Look, I'm wearing a cowboy hat and, and I'm a novelist. You <laughs> yeah, know, but you got a nice yeah. little place to retreat to there in the Yukon. Yukon, yeah, Yukon territories. Yeah, it's the size of Texas and Montana combined, and there's 40,000 people. It's pretty remote. And you got a you got an outfitter, right? You guys uh, do guided hunts and things out there? Yeah, I, 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 I'm an outfitter. I, I'm, well, um, by law, the government, I, you know, I, I can call it my outfitting territory because it's Jim Shockey's Rogue River Outfitters. But the, the government needs a name that needs to be in the territory. So right now, today, as we're doing this, my guys are out there guiding for moose uh, in the remotest camps in the planet. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so that's an outfitting territory, and that's the 7.5 million acres. If I die, it goes to my estate. You know, it's not a lease like you would lease a hunting area. It's a, it's a, it's like a deed to the use of the land. And you have exclusive, so, exclusive, exclusivity to that. Yeah, exclusive for for guided hunts. So only residents of the Yukon can hunt there. And there's forty thousand of them. And they wouldn't. Why would they bother spending that much money to go way, way out there somewhere? Yeah. Um, and everybody else pretty much has to go with an outfitter. There's there's a licensing process where a resident of the Yukon can take a Canadian resident for an animal like a moose mm-hmm. um, once every three years, but not for any real or perceived gain. So it's, they can't guide them. Right. But, uh, you know, they can be there on the hunt with them. But so there, but that's hardly ever done. Now, is your so, yeah, out, outfitting group the only one that's allowed to do it out there or? Yeah. yeah. In that wow. territory. I think there's, they think there's 19 areas altogether. The Yukon is divided up into nine. They're big. Uh, I don't have the biggest area. I think I'm third biggest in my territory. With seven and a half million, million <laughs> acres? Yeah, it's, even, it's bigger than that. I mean, that's Jeez. a flat, plain view of it. But, uh, you know, it imagine. wouldn't be how you measured on a – it's a lot bigger than that. It's yeah, 12,000 yeah. square miles. And it's – yeah, it's, it's amazing. Not, not a single not a single road. You know, there's nothing. I mean, there's a few – but loggers – you know, if, if there was logging, which there isn't, they would be allowed to have a logging tree farm license. Yeah. But there's no logging. It's too remote. You couldn't, the trees are too stunted. Um, and then miners can also stake claims in that area and do what they can do. So they can build a cabin and, and sluice a creek or gotcha. build a mine even if they get big enough. Um, but it's, it's too hard. How are you going to get the ore out? You can't you know, fly it out. Cost you know, it's kind of heavy. So that doesn't work either. Uh, they do it all the time raise money and then everybody goes bankrupt and and <laughs> it's, it's just it's astounding to me that people still invest in penny stocks for you know that new yukon i mean you you can't get you know anywhere that's really remote you can't get it out so look at a map and figure it out yeah you know before there's good there's good mining operations that actually do happen but they have access you know sure and a lot, they got a plan are, to no get access. it in and out kind of deal yeah, tra- and trappers too they have the, the trappers, you know, they have their territories that are much smaller. There are many of them encompassed inside my opening territory. Yeah. And they can build a cabin too, you know, little log houses. They're super cool. I mean, that's where the mad trapper came from, that that legend, which isn't a legend, it was a true story. What's the mad trapper? I'm not 
familiar oh with my goodness google it mad trapper okay of the yeah he um yeah he, i've not heard tracked of it. Him. yeah it's a fascinating book a true story they tracked him the rcmp were on his tail across the entire yukon um and they finally caught up to him and he had you know a cave built underneath his logging cabin and he ended up killing a couple of rcmp officers before they they finally how long ago was this 1930s, I think it was airplane days. You know, they had bush planes, okay. but uh, really, really, yeah, long, almost 100 years ago. Yeah, the Mad Trapper. That's all in my territory. He, he, like ran right across there. So the cool. guys, superhuman, but they were tougher in those days. They just tougher. You know, they just yeah. went on their snowshoes and 40 below weather and and survived. Just willpower, but, uh, man. Is willpower. But yeah, there's no trails. There's no nothing. It's not like you're. The Yukon is remote. Attention business owners. Are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm-friendly, full-service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltec, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick-ass new logo at Talking Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call 1-800-316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. What's your next plans uh, for Jim Shockey? You got a hunt coming up? With got a TV show you're going to be driving? Yeah, You've got I like mean, we, 19,000 TV shows, don't you? <laughs> we, uh, we produce probably 500 hours of television episodes over the years. Our yeah. hunting adventure show, uh, Rogue Man, the... the um, uh, professionals, Uncharted, Uncharted Yukon. We right now today, those are all in reruns um, on the Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Channel and on My Outdoors TV. And I see Danger Close, whatever that is, streaming. Um, and I've watched our shows in the far east of Russia on television. Oh, yeah, like, click there is on Turkey. Watched our shows, That's so awesome. they're there around the world. But um, right now, I'm producing. And this is our studio for our Shock Therapy TV show. Okay, and it's it, an idea I had a long time ago. It's the very end of the professionals where we sit around and analyze the footage. So I bring guests in. It's like kind of the like after show. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like a podcast except televised. Oh, nice. We do the same thing. I talk to people just like you. We'll get you up here someday and, uh, and blabber. Let's do so, it. I would love to. I love to blabber. Yeah. I'll find out about you instead of me blabbering about me the whole time. But uh, so we produced the shock therapy show that's in this studio in our museum. Um, and then for the the Aboriginal People's Television Network, so APTN, which is a big network up here in Canada, uh, we produce a show called Yukon Harvest hmm. and another show that will be starting to air here pretty quick called uh, Coastal Carvers. And that's, you know, those are show, those are Canadian shows that will eventually be syndicated around the world. We're, sure. you know, and, and award nominated shows. But, but working with Indigenous people, bringing them back to the land, you know, people that have maybe lost their way and bringing them back. And it's it's mostly an Indigenous cast and almost 100% and also 
pretty much everyone behind the scenes is also indigenous. I'm the executive producer. It's produced here. Um, nice. Todd Forsborn runs it. And uh, yeah, so it, it, it's pretty cool. And those, those shows are, you, you'd have to have cable, I guess, up here in Canada to, to see those. But they're, yeah, they're they're doing great. Yeah. Wait, does people not have cable in Canada? Is it? <laughs> Some don't. <laughs> Cable's I, I kind of a thing of the, the past, you know? It's kind of, it's a dying... Yeah. It's like a dial. It's like a dial. It's like a dial tone phone. You know, it's going away. Yeah, it's gone. And I actually was looking to Starlink for our own place here. You know, so I don't have to have the cables because trees fall down and gone goodbye. But then power's still there, so who cares? Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're asking me what I'm planning to do in the future. I'll yeah. keep doing the the shock therapy show. I've got so many wonderful commercial partners that I've been like loopholed for forty years. Darn oh man. yeah. Cabela, Bass Pro, great sponsors. Uh, you know, I mean, they're all behind me here, but. But I'll continue to do that. I don't see a great deal of, of crazy international travel in my future. Because, I, I mean, it's, hard. you know, people go, well, let's, you know, go to whatever Europe. It's like, you know, no, no offense to Europeans <laughs> and everything that's there. I think it's wonderful. But sure. it, it's, it's just kind of soft compared to what I've done in my life. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to and go to an all-inclusive. It's hard to get excited about that, right? pretty hard you know and, and go on a cruise i mean I, there's i'm not throwing stones but it's it's just very difficult for me to do that but to do the wild stuff that i did that that uh on the edge you know i'm older i i can't see as well i don't hear as well i, I certainly can't run as fast uh, you know and i hate to admit it i probably don't shoot as well as i used to so i'm you know maybe not as i'd be dead if i couldn't shoot perfectly man's got you know, to know his limitations right I think so. And I've got grandchildren and I've got to write a sequel and, you know, I'll still go to the Yukon and I'm going to go to our ranch in Saskatchewan here, hopefully in the next few days and hunt whitetails and just get back to my, you know, the roots. I've got a dog, baby. I hear, I hear it. Let's, let's see your puppy. I I don't know how I can do that. What's your puppy's name? It's baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Baby. Oh, your big sweetie. Oh, your big sweetie. Hey, hey, buddy. Yeah, Do we wake you up from your nap? <laughs> yeah, she's a um, she's a year old, and she's. Uh, I, I took her to the vet the other day to get some dog food for her, and, and uh, she weighed one hundred and seven and point four pounds. Ah, she, one day over a year old, so yeah, she's, she's not exactly a, a ballerina. Probably never will be. What kind of what kind of breed is she? Mother was a massive Caucasian Shepherd, you know, bear of a dog, top biggest five biggest dogs in the world yeah uh, the father was a catahoula leopard dog mm. so i think it's the state dog of louisiana okay. i didn't even, i never heard of it before but I that was it. the father so they were purebreds she's a uh, a crossbreed mutt mix came got her off a, a bison ranch in northern bc oh yeah so she should be, yeah she's she's meant to be an outdoor dog and that's why we have her at our place just to guard the outside and, yeah sounds and, like she'd be yeah, a good kind of like a herd dog kind of yeah, a little kind bit. Of yeah, she's got that. She's definitely got that in her. But she's, you know, she's my my buddy now. So I don't know what I'll do. I've got grandkids. I, you know, now with Louisa gone, it, I have to write the other novel. Get into that. You live in a different world when you're writing. You know, have you started that? I live in the past. Yeah. is what happened. Have you, you know, started I, the I, sequel? Is what? Have you started the sequel? Yes and no. You know, it's the same thing for this one. I mean, it, it's I've already lived it, so it's yeah. it's started you know, 50 years ago. So sure. 60 years ago, I, I've just, yeah, I just have to sit down and actually type out the rest of the story. It'd be out next and, year, won't it? 
that'll I'll have to be fast because it took a year for Emily Bessler and I. It, I'm amazed at how slow the process is in writing, and I'm not Jack Carr. You know, Jack, he he's disciplined. Like he, well, he's young. He you know, talks he's about that's how it, difficult it, it is too. Yeah, th- this one is this one is. You know, I'm doing it because it's a story I wanted to tell. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell it in my own time. So I'm not. I don't need to have a second book right away. I'm sure the Simon Schuster guys are listening, going, "Yes, you do. Like, why isn't it here yet?" <laughs> like we have these but things I, called deadlines. Come on, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah and I, you know. Yeah, I've been the last two years with Louise. I haven't been able to really. Sure. I can do the editing with Emily and and uh, and you know whatever marketing. I, I go on the book tour here in a couple of weeks. I don't know when you're going to air this podcast, but uh, I'll be on the road for about three weeks, just hitting Cabela's stores. I hopefully see everybody. Cabela's okay. and Bass Pro stores around the states Are and you, even in Canada. You come into Tennessee. I don't. I know. I don't remember seeing Tennessee on the list. You need to add Tennessee to your list. Yeah, I, I I'd love to. I, you know, I, there's nothing really holding me anywhere anymore. So, I and I love interfacing with the people that are like-minded. So, so yeah. I'll, I'll probably be doing a lot of that. You know, and and appearances I couldn't do before because, you know, I didn't want to do them. I, was, yeah. I had Louise at home, but now I don't. I've got our kids; they're all down the states. So I'll probably, I've already put in for dual citizenship. So I'll, I'll you know, be I'm back surprised you're not already a dual citizen. No, uh, Eva and Tim are, um, but I, I'm not. Both my grandparents were American, you know, on, on my uh, well, mother and father's side. Yeah. My grandfather came there first and got American citizenship. And and so, I, you know, I mean, my sister's American. My grandchildren are American. So, you know, my daughter's American. So it's it's just time. So I'll be I'll you know I'll be back and forth between Canada and the states. Sure, We've got a beautiful place here. You know, and you got the museum there, there, man. Is what I said. You got the museum there. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. you know that's going to take. I'm going to uh, you know I've a lot of the next ten years to curate everything because every piece we're donating it all. So every piece has to have a number and be cataloged you know, an and booked. Yeah, and then donated. You're so digitizing all that too, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's state of the art. Even our curations through here are state of the art. So they're actual iPads, and just a little number on each thing. So they don't have to. You know, I mean, I go to museums and I read, read and I read, get all through the first paragraph, and I'm done. You know, <laughs> but with an iPad, the children too. We get yeah. You know, three three to four classrooms a week during the school year, and they're the kids love it because they they understand an iPad. They see it. You know, two to three minute video on whatever thing they they're interested in. They look to look for the numbers like it's a uh, Easter egg hunt, yeah. And they hear it, you know, and then they see the and they're close to this. It's not a museum where you stand back fifty yards and sort of you know you're right not there on it, not allowed to come close. No, they can come right up and virtually touch. There's a whole room they can touch everything, a sensory safari room. Nice. So so it, yeah. So I've got to get all that done and get it all donated and then uh, write the second novel. I thought about going into politics. I have to really. Oh, don't do hey, that. Don't do that to us. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, if, if, if good people, I, I think I'm a good person. No. Oh, maybe yeah. I should judge myself. But, but you know, I, if, if you don't stand up at some point, then you're going to continue to go down a direction by the, led by politicians who want to get reelected. They don't want to do what's right. They want to do what's right that everybody thinks is right. Yeah. You know, but sometimes cod liver oil is what you got to take. You know, and, and my grandmother taught me that. Yeah, it tastes crappy, but guess what? It's good for you. And, and you know, if politicians just keep 
doing this and doing this and doing this and we keep electing where I think you would have you know, a lot more want. influence if you would just get behind a politician. You yeah, know, that, and that's you know, I mean that's good. that's a good point too because if you if I do that I'd be all in and you know I mean it's it would be all consuming and if I you know you get too frustrated when you're trying to move goo you know right. it, it, it may not be good but I thought about it I haven't decided yet. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, I take everything. Well, I wish you luck if that's something you decide to do. I mean, I'm not uh, telling you not to do it, but I just think your influence, you would be very influential and have more um, power yes. behind the scenes kind of deal, you know. Yeah, you know, this is sounds self-serving, but you're right about that. You're right. And this book is meant to reach out to the non-hunting public and, and change the perception of who we are, yeah. who you are, everybody listening to this. It's meant to do that, so but we need to support it to show the money people that you can make money on this, letting someone with these points of view that flips the stereotypes around and changes the stereotypes, hopefully over time. Yeah. So if we all bought that book, and it's not because of money, I, I, I'm giving everything away, you know, so I just give it away anyway. So if we all got behind it and bought 10 copies for our mother, I think the Rolling Stone. Yes, yeah, great saw, gifts. Great gifts. Yeah, gift it. And and you know what? That would make waves like you can't imagine in that world. The world that controls, disseminates the information that doesn't allow us to, to tell our narrative. They hijack it and they say we're right. louts that spit on the floor, no higher sensibilities, unintelligent, you know, because we couldn't read when we were three well or grade three because it wasn't interesting to us. But they don't tell that part of the story and they don't tell we're family people and we believe and honor and chivalry things that conservation of course with the wildlife that we love and and living a field to table true lifestyle that we believe in we're not judging anybody else on their lifestyle be a vegan i don't care it's good for you have at it but but don't try and turn me into one because it's not you know i'm I'm happy the way i am but but this book is meant to give us a voice if it does well you know then I, i guarantee i'll write a second one that'll also hopefully do well It'll open doors for more and more people to take that point of view and to to start telling these stories, and and some of them will be nonfiction, and and we'll have a voice out there. We're we're already starting your podcast. Oh yeah, you know it. it yeah. It's we're we're getting there. I'm hoping that this book grassroots. Will give me a book. Yeah, grassroots. Yeah. That's exactly where it starts. So. so leadheads, you want to buy this book? It's on Amazon. You can go to Jim Shockey's website. I think it's on your website too, right? Where you can. I, I'm. I don't know. I mean, that's above my pay grade. But if you Google "Call Me Hunter," you can buy it in a million places right now. A million places. Uh, it's going to be in the bookstores because it's Simon Schuster. So you guys can go to your bookstore, ask them. You can order it from them. "Call Me Hunter," Jim Shockey. You're not going to be disappointed. I guarantee it. I've read it cover to cover. I want to listen to the audio version now that you said that you're you're part of the the narration on that. I, I'm no professional, but, but I, I've got my my nasally voice. That, you know, trying to read words. That I, I know how to write them, and I know, you know, I, I know yeah. what they mean. But I've never had to speak them because who would you? You don't use a lot of those words but, in real life. But from an author's head, you know, there's the tone. You know, it's like you know what the tone is supposed to be, and you know the inflections. Yeah. And yeah, they, they were. I think they were, he was quite surprised because he thought, you know, it would be a sinister, but it, but it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's not sinister. It's truth. And that, you know, that's not sinister. It's a thriller, 
but it's not sinister. Yeah. So, I mean, it is in some ways, but the voice, my voice isn't sinister, I don't think. But well, I, you're, because I'm telling a story. Yours isn't a girl voice either. So that that kind of, because you do a lot of, one of the main characters is a female. I'll say that. I'm, again, I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, the protagonist, but, yeah. Yeah, but you do, there's a lot of female stuff in there. So I'm assuming that probably came from from Louise and, and Ava. Yeah, well, also I had two sisters and a mother and and a father that was ah. on the road in road construction all the time. So I you know, I got my You had estrogen. estrogen. You've had estrogen oh, yeah. all your life. No, I, I, yeah, and I mean I love my sisters, love my mom obviously and and you know Eva, she's a wealth of inspiration on anything girl related. She's she's yeah. awesome and uh, and Louise, you know, there never was a a more ladylike, you know, human being that I've ever met. So, yeah. so, you know, I had, it was easy. They, that was one of the first questions that Esther uh, Fedorkovich asked me, my agent, she, I never met her. And, and she held up, you know, the, the manuscript. She said, I have to ask right off the bat. And it was a FaceTime thing. Yeah. Um, Did you write this? And it, <laughs> a big part of that was because the female voices are so, you know, she said it. They're so female. Are, yeah. There's just females. They're right. But, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, Again, we've been just stereotyped that we have, you know, you know, we don't understand the female voice. Of course we do. We listen to it. You know, we're not misogynists. We, yeah. we actually listen and <clears throat> because we're chivalrous doesn't mean we're, we think less of someone that we, you know, where we can't even understand what they think. Yeah. You know, of course you can. Human beings is, it's a universal. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or what gender you are. you the, the voices are. You know, we all want the same things. Yeah. We, we want our children. But those to 20, healthy. 20 something female, female characters, you, you seem to have nailed them. So, and, and the sidekick, she's hilarious. That's, Luba. <laughs> yeah. Luba is awesome. Yeah. Luba. Yeah. yeah. Luba is a, everyone loves Luba. I mean, she's, yeah. She, she reminds mean, me of some uh, friends that I have that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like, that, that's like, people, that's Morgan but, to a T. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they're 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 and they, yeah, great. All I mean, I I think Luba is one of the coolest characters. I think Javago is one of the most evil villains that I've ever. I mean, I it, it, my our daughter Eva read and said, you know, she was kind of like, I'm creeped out that this stuff came out of your head, you know. <laughs> but you know, it happens. You know, this is it's just happens around the world, and and uh, there's wonderful, beautiful people, and we just can't judge everybody. Yeah. You know. Don't judge Luba. She's she's one of the freest spirits that oh, she's ever hilarious. walked the earth. And Yala, you know, I mean, conflicted, but why? 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 What's what's going on in her? Is what's, that how you say it, Nyala? Uh, well, it, it, the actual I call her Nyla the whole time. Is, is, yeah, Nyala, but the real pronunciation is Ninyala, right? So, but you can't. That doesn't. So I always call her Nyala, Nyala. Okay. And and uh, and and but most Nyala is how most of us would pronounce it over in Africa. It's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful antelope over there. Ah, yeah. So so it's uh, Nyala is how we. That's sort of the I don't know anglicized version of it of Nyala, right? But you can't say Nyala. Nyala. So I say Nyala. 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 So that's how I pronounced it when I was reading it. And Scott Brick, you know. I, you know, they didn't know how to pronounce it because which way do you do it? Well, yeah, you do it the way the, the author feels it should sound, which is Niala. Right. Same with Tizu, the man of sores. Tizu, what you know, how do you I called him Tizu. Sauce? 
Yeah, sauce. Yeah. I read his name and is it, Sauce. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, and it, but that's I called it Cizu, and it, yeah. yours is a better phonetic pronunciation of of Chizu, the way it's spelled. But but yeah, it, yeah, and that's all. That's all real. Legendary. It just helps me get through when I can't when I don't know how to pronounce something. I just come up with. I was like, all right, that's yeah, Nyla, that's Sauce. She's Luba. <laughs> Luba was easy. <laughs> yeah, Luba was easy. Yeah. No, but that's that's I read the same way. That's why I say when I had to actually read it for the audiobook i had to i have my own pronunciations of things and and that's i know it's the properly ninyala but you know that's not how i right how i you know vocalized it inside my head when i was writing it so yeah there, there's a lot of characters maybe we should put character. a um a little thing in the back of the book on how to pronounce I, names and stuff yeah <laughs> yeah but, but it's okay read it however they want i mean it's there's there's place names in there because they're real. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to pronounce them. I, you know, I, I wrote them down in my journals. Just my Africa journals alone were over a million words. Oh, my gosh. Just Africa. And I've got Asia and South America and North America and South Pacific. I've got all that. You know, so a million words in my Africa journals and the villages and people's names. And I don't know how to pronounce them. I just, I got them to spell them. Right. You know, but so yeah, I just, when I read, I just come up with a, a something that works in my brain yeah and keep it consistent keep it simple keep it simple stupid yep. the old kiss principle yep. yeah <laughs> yeah jim it has been a pleasure having you on i know i've kept you way too long um sorry about that um that's okay yeah it's not like i have a grand opening to attend so. i would love to have you back on the show sometime anytime i mean you're always welcome back here i know our, our listeners are gonna love this episode and they're gonna want more of you well, I'm happy to do it. I, like I said, I've got time on my hands now, and 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 it's I fully intend to use my voice to reach as far and wide as I can with with the messaging about hunting and hunters, what we're truly about, and gun owners. Well, you you are welcome here to spread the message. Anything that we can do to help to help that get that voice out, that's what we're here for. Love to have you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So Leadheads, again, go check out the new book. It's called Call Me Hunter, new novel by Jim Shockey. You won't be disappointed. You're going to love it. Uh, if you're in British Columbia, is that where the museum is? Yeah, Vancouver Island on the very west coast of British Columbia. The Hand of Man Museum. Go check that out. Uh, that'll give me an excuse to come to Canada. I've never really uh, wanted to come to Canada before, but now I do. I want to come to your museum. Yeah. You won't be disappointed. It's a lot bigger than what anyone's envisioning right now. A lot Seventeen thousand square feet. That's that's kind of huge. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's packed. It's it's not done like a museum with three things in a room. This is every square inch is. It's just like cool take you a couple stuff. of days to get through the thing, huh? Yeah, if you're doing all the if you're doing all the iPad curations, yeah, you'd be two days. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the website Jim Shockey, uh, jimshockey.com. And I think all your socials are at Jim Shockey. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, yeah. Hashtag Jim Shockey. I don't know. I, that's above my pay grade. I do all the posts <laughs> and I read everybody's comments. But, and of course, but, I'll have links in the show notes, Leadheads. You can go to the website where the where we post the podcast. Um, but again, go show him some love on the social meets. Follow him. Let him know you heard about him here. Let him know that you bought the book and you enjoy the book. Give feedback uh, on the book. I know that... Um, Emily asked you to do the same too, and uh, you can go to at I got to put my readers on Simon and Schuster.com. Uh, it's Emily 
Bessler at simonandschuster.com. Uh, she puts it in the book there. Just shoot her an email. Let her know what you think about the book. So. Yeah, yeah. No, social face, Facebook, I live on. And yeah, our lives are very open. So we share everything on Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter. I think we're on that. Yeah, the Twitter, whatever it's called now. It's something other than Twitter. I don't remember what they call it now, but. No idea. It's always going to be bummer to me. <laughs> so, so all right, Leadheads, uh, go and show all the sponsors of the Talking Lead Podcast show your love. Use those discount codes. That's how they know that you appreciate them sponsoring the show each and every week. And until next week, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And make sure you shoot straight when you got it. I mean, tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth. Come on. <laughs>